Trying to score from the plug today I sure could use a shot Zannies are helping but I need more Guess I'll smoke some pot I'm about to go insane Sometimes I need to go where everybody does cocaine And we always find a vein I want to fix and do some blow but The troubles will go away I want to be where everybody does cocaine You should you dope, I'll smoke some crack Junkies are all the same I want to be where everybody does cocaine. Hey, 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 it's time for doping. And I want to sing a song for you. Chris gonna show you a thing or two. You'll have some fun now with me and all the gang. Learning from each other while we do our thing. Nah, 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 gonna have a good time. Hey, hey. Nah, 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 gonna have a good time. Danny Chris coming at you with music and fun. If you're not careful, you might learn something before we die. Hey, hey, hey. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California. They're founded by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission is to create a treatment center that is based upon connection and compassion and not based upon control. They have decades and decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders including severe mental illness. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is very important when you're kicking anything but heroin, benzos, alcohol, weed, kratom, whatever you're kicking, you want you want a safe and comfortable kick. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. No one can say no to that. They are rated incredibly highly by experts, but more importantly, by addicts that I've known that have been there all can't stop raving about how well they were treated and how good the program at Oro is. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get some help, I have to suggest going to Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? Sober Buddy is an app, but it is so much more. It is a community. It is a resource if you are interested in getting sober or if you are sober. It is over 10 Zooms a week with experts uh, and addicts and alcoholics who are all in recovery. I do a Zoom for them every Wednesday. There is a free trial. Go to YourSoberBuddy.com, sign up. Sober Buddy has tools. You can get it at the App Store 
or the Google Play Store or at YourSoberBuddy.com. If you are looking for a community in recovery, I can't suggest Sober Buddy enough. If you are looking for an app to support your sobriety journey, I, I concur again. I cannot suggest Sober Buddy enough. Again, it's at YourSoberBuddy.com or at the App Store or the Google Play Store. Go sign up. All right, we need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. And whenever we talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace, you should know we're talking about our incredible sponsor, Soberlink. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Soberlink. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity. They have unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and they send results directly to your specified contact. So there is no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and get an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com dopey. Before we get into the show, I want to remind you that Dopey Gear is available at dopeypodcast.com. Sign up for Patreon. There is a great Grateful Dead apparel company called Always a Hoot. They send me clothes. I want to talk about them. Great Grateful Dead clothes. Go to alwaysahoot.com. Enough of the fucking ads. Here's the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and we have a very special show today. Fucking legendary MC, musician, New Yorker, alcoholic in recovery, Daryl DMC McDaniels came to my dad's house, which blew me away. It was like crazy. For those of you who don't know, Daryl DMC McDaniels is one third of the seminal multi-platinum selling rap group Run DMC with hits like It's Tricky, My Adidas, You Be Illin', Walk This Way, Christmas and Hollis. But we get into DM, uh, Run DMC a lot, obviously, later in the show. And I want to catch you up on some dopey stuff that's happening. The first thing I want to say, and it's not necessarily dopey, is I finally started watching a new TV show. The TV show is called The Last of Us, and uh, it's on HBO, and it is so fucking good. The, the third episode is like the greatest episode I've ever seen of anything. Maybe that's conjecture, but maybe just stuff has been so bad, or maybe it's because I was just watching Oz for too long that anything, it looks so great next to the the, the dreck that is the last season of Oz. But The Last of Us is this show about kind of like a... It's another post-zombie apocalypse show, but the apocalypse is brought on by fungus. 
And they, I don't want to ruin the show or anything, but it, they start off by talking about how mushrooms are so powerful they can hijack your brain. In The Last of Us, they basically hijack humanity and turn people into these feral uh, zombies eating each other and stuff. But so, like, it's it's another one of these shows where there's you know civilization is destroyed, trying to protect whatever humans are left, and the free humans are trying to save the world and be connected and and the ones that get to live are so lucky that they get they they didn't get you know bitten by a mushroom zombie and they didn't get bombed by the government and it just reminded me of recovery in this weird way where i don't know i feel so lucky to be alive i feel so lucky to be connected to you guys i feel so lucky to be connected with other people in recovery and when we stay connected, we stay free. And I, I, I have to say, if you can watch this show, The Last of Us, watch it. Let me know if you think I'm bugging out. Like, am I not? Is my, is my, is my finger off the pulse of what's great? Because I think it's pretty great. So that's my big recommendation. I've been hearing from a lot of people. I got, uh, I just got a note on Instagram that kind of fucked me up. It said, "Hey, Dave." A few days ago, I was driving around shooting coke, looking in the rear view while Chris talked about doing the exact same thing. What a trip. Anyways, I'm in detox, about to head to my first rehab. I'm scared to continue the show past Chris's death, but the show must go on. Take care and keep what you're doing. Hope I can stay sober this time. Listen, man, you can do it. You know, it just takes work. And that's Garrett. So everybody throw some fucking good vibes at Garrett out there. It's just, you know, it, it's a decision. And then it's a decision you need to keep making over and over and over and over again. Um, I got this voicemail about the last episode with, with Chloe LeBranch. So I want to play that. Hold on. Hey, Dave. Uh, my name is Christina, and I've been wanting to send you a voicemail forever, but I have anxiety and ADHD, and I can never get around to it. But this morning, I was just listening to the episode you put out with Fentanyl J and Chloe LeBranch, and <laughs> I just paused in the middle of listening because I had to send this. Um, first of all, <laughs> Chloe LeBranch, I can relate to everything she's talking about with um, her recent relapse. Uh, I had a similar relapse in 2018, 2019 that also had me suicidal and then I also ended up going into rehab. Um, and yeah, I just, I love it when you have relatable ass women on your show, not even women, just relatable ass people. It's, it's really nice. And um, I discovered Dopey last year after a pretty big life change. And um, I'm also in recovery for my bulimia, had bulimia for 15 years. Um, I, I'm just a depressed person, been depressed as long as I can remember. And my addiction, I, I don't see it as an identity. I see it as like a symptom of my depression. So before I was an addict, I self-harmed and I was bulimic. And then the only reason I had a break from those things is because society frowns on those things, but drinking is fun. And so I've been, I've always been sick, but it hasn't always been that way on the outside. And it's pretty lonely when you're, you're functional on the outside and no one knows how fucking miserable you are all the time. And, um, I, I actually, it's funny. I started a mental health podcast to talk about this shit back in 2018. And I didn't even listen to Dopey back then. Like I said, I discovered it last year, but 
Um, I started my podcast just a few months after Chris died, and it's so wild to think about, like, the Dopey Nation existing, like, in the background when I didn't even know about it and, you know, only discovering it now. I have a lot of catching up to do, but I just wanted to say uh, I love all the old episodes with Chris. I've listened to some of them multiple times, Um, you know, still catching up, but the newest episode, really loving it. Um, one final note, when you and Jay were listening, uh, reading the email from ODJ, and he, all, you were just like, I'm so glad to be sober, or something like that, it made me laugh out loud, because honestly, sometimes I miss it, sometimes I miss the the excitement of it all, and but that's not sustainable, and my life is pretty boring now in recovery, and I'm not totally sober um more on that maybe in the future but but yeah I'm so fucking happy to be in recovery and uh love you Dave love the dopey nation um I'm gonna end this now also my podcast is called pickles and vodka I feel like I have to say that bye so thank you Christina and check out pickles and vodka if you're if you're looking for a mental health podcast and yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't I don't miss it because it isn't sustainable. It's like there is no one getting high. It's just like it's just something else I have to fucking get out of again. And I don't want to have to get out of anything again. You know, I don't know. My life is good. I am incredibly excited that my life is good, that I'm enjoying it. I know it bums some of you out <laughs> that my life is good, but I know that your life is good. So like. If your life is good, great. If your life could be better, my life could be better. There are things to do. And this is not like a a warm-up to an ad, but it could be. Maybe if you want your life to be better, sign up for Dopey Patreon. It's incredible. I just put up uh, Fentanyl J outtakes just now. We did a special new Patreon with Erin Carr where she gets very juicy in that episode. But uh, sign up for Patreon. We're doing our Patreon Zoom this weekend. Uh, If you want to support the show, it's the best way to support the show. And there's going to be more and more and more content. That's my little ad for Patreon. Oh, yeah, you can check out Patreon at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, check out Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast if you're interested in how middle-aged suburban men handle recovery it's a deep dive into all things about recovery be it 12 step alt recovery they read different books about recovery they talk they hang out it's great check it out where your podcasts are consumed recovery in the middle ages or middle ages recovery.com we're about to get to daryl dmc mcdaniels and before we do i just want to tell how i met him And I bet a lot of you guys know when I was at the Park City Song Summit in Park City, Utah, I got to meet one of my heroes, Daryl DMC McDaniels. So I want to shout out the Park City Song Summit. I want to shout out all the people that worked on it. Ben Anderson. And I want to give thanks to Eric Blamoville and great thanks to Keith Gard, who's been on the show also. All of those people made it possible to have DMC on the show right now. And something else I came across in my travels 
at the Park City Song Summit was this incredible organization called The Phoenix. They are a new sponsor of the show. The Phoenix is a free nonprofit foundation. They are creating a free movement that uses the power of community and belonging to change how society looks at addiction and recovery. A free, 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 free sober, active community that uses group activities and human connection to help people who are dealing with addiction. I have met a bunch of people from the Phoenix. They are super positive and fun, and we are going to be doing events with them. They set up physical fitness challenges, CrossFit, music stuff is happening. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash class. Check them out also at thephoenix.org slash movement. Join the movement at thephoenix.org slash movement. It's a it's really exciting partnership. We're going to be doing some music with them in the spring. I'm actually going to be going to some CrossFit activities from the Phoenix. It is a free nonprofit organization that helps addicts and alcoholics enjoy their life. So check them out at thephoenix.org. And now, without any further ado, the King at Rock, there is none higher. The Sucka MCs, I'll call him Saya. Sire, Daryl DMC McDaniels. Here we go. I can't tell you what this is for me. I have Daryl DMC McDaniels in the place. Welcome. I, I used to be a kid and watch no, you some, uh, on MTV in my room. That's crazy. It's in crazy. Here. I love being in here, though. Tell me why. This is the coolest thing ever because it reminds me of my childhood. It's that classic New York City middle class exactly. thing. Exactly. Yep. And whether you're black and from Queens or Jewish and from Manhattan, it's very similar. It's very, it's all very similar. Just ask the Beastie Boys. <laughs> They'll tell you. Right. You and know? he and Daryl just pointed to my dad's phone and said, "I have that exact phone." Well, I I have to so thank you. So there's a lot of familiar familiarity. You feel at home. Yes, exactly. Is yep, a hundred percent. Well, you look so, at home. You know what? They need to do more of this. We should have videotaped because, it. Because, yeah, we should have videotaped That's my Next fault. time. Yes. Next time I come on, you'll bring a crew. Yes. This is real. And I think the perception of celebrity in Hollywood, we don't need studios. No, bring the, the, the people that, whatever, the artist, the actor, the musician, the writer, whatever it is that's making you known to people. They should do interviews like this. Right. It's very, it's very cool. It's very it's home cool, fun. Right. It's, right. That is cool. It's I, real. You just made me, I might just make a whole song cursing out Hollywood now. Nice. How fake it is. Or maybe we should just do a podcast here where you're here all the time and we have people come and come you're like, and come to Dave's house. Instead of there. Run's house, it's and, Dave's and, house. And Dave's there all the time. Exactly. That's crazy. Dave's no. dad's house. Yeah, Dave's, the, yes. But this is just, it just feels good. So thank, thank you for that. No, me. dude, thank you. I want to I want to go back in time and move forward, which I'm sure. Are you tired of talking about your life and career? No, never, never. Because something new always comes out. All right, I, I I read Ten Ways Not to Commit Suicide, which is a beautiful book. I cannot recommend it enough. I saw you perform in Park City, Utah, which blew my mind. That was fun because, like, I'm sure you know you sold hundreds of millions of records. Or 30 million records, I think the stat right, right. was. But I can yep. say hundreds of millions with that. Right. But I grew up in Manhattan, and you and Jam Master J and Run 
penetrated my psyche uh-huh. here. So like, I, I, I can't even tell you, like it means a lot to me. I don't usually this get flabbergasted crazy, right? because like your voice, Ron's voice, the music, the lyrics. I remember being 12 you it. You experienced and memorizing it. UB Illin. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's just, I play It's Tricky. I played It's wow. Tricky for my 10-year-old. That's crazy. And she lived for it because the, it's so solid. So I'm just right. going to thank you for the music first. That's crazy. All right, now let's go back in time. First time you get high. First time I get high, I remember the day. It was 1970, for 1976. I was in the Bicentennial. Because I remember, because all like, the big thing was, did you get one? Did you get one? Because the uh, government put out the bicentennial quarters. Nice. Did you get one? 19, yeah, I got one. Do you still have it? <clears throat> nope. Oh, well. I wonder what it's worth. But it was huge because I got one. I said, I got one. And it was, that was the biggest thing. But um, So I was 11. Dexter Miller was the new cool kid that moved on the block. He had every color Pro Kid 69ers. Remember the Pro Kid 60? Yeah, there was there was this was around a time when the dungarees with with the leather. Wow. Different color, leather brown design. This was that time. So Dexter Miller. I just like that you say dungarees. Dungarees, yeah. He had the dungarees. Dexter Miller, he had the AFX race car track in his basement with the houses. He had the black light. Oh, posters, yeah. okay. the felt posters you would get from all the record shops yeah, and yeah. The, the head shops. So Dexter Miller was older than me and Nathan. I was 11. Nathan had to be 8. Dexter Miller, all the kids looked up to him because he was just cool. He had it going on. He had the haircut. He had waves. He was a big wrestling fan, too. So Dexter had everything. And he lived on a corner. So one day he invites me and Nathan. And we're younger than him. So we're the only two on the block that he says, come on over. So we go over in his house. He takes us up in his room. And he turns out all the light. He used to go into the schools and steal the exit signs. Because the exit signs wasn't electronic. They was the fluorescent plastic sticky paper. Oh, so they just glowed. In his his stoner basement paradise. So he took them. He stole them from the school, yeah, yeah. and he cut them up into little stars all over his room. So he took us in his room, and he said, we're going to smoke some reefer. Okay. It wasn't weed. It wasn't We're going to smoke some reefer. So I remember he took out a joint. It was already rolled. It was me and Nathan sitting. And he said, wait, wait, wait. And I remember he turned Hold out Nathan the lights. Nathan was eight? Nathan was eight. Oh, that's fucked up. Nathan, me and Nathan was best friends. We did everything together. So um, he said, wait, wait, wait. He turns off the light, and the whole room looked like space. And then he turns on the black light. So all the, there was a famous poster. You've probably seen it all, all up every time where you go. It was a post of the giant, the green giant getting high. Okay. And he said, I get high with a little help from my friends. Okay. The black light. You know, they had the Afro posters. And remember the black light felt. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And everybody out there, you, yeah, D, we know this. Very nostalgic. So he pulls out the joint and he lights it. He takes a pull. And then when he gives this to us, we don't inhale. And he says, no, 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 no. You got to inhale it. So I remember I took a hit of the joint and it went to my lungs and it burnt my lungs. 
And he was like, hold it in. I held it in. I blew it out. And then the whole world just looked really, really different. You have an incredible memory, by the way. I think you do. Everybody says that. Incredible. Every You're just right there. I remember every every feeling and emotion. That's, that's a real talent, though. Because do you think the emotion that, the emotion that sucks you in? So what was the emotion? Yeah, yeah the, that? the emotion was, as you're taking a joint, you think it to yourself, this is wrong. You could get in trouble. But then I, I spoke to, about this to the kids yesterday. I wanted to get high so I could be accepted. Because in my community, drugs was a social norm. So it was almost like me and Nate, and we wanted to be cool like Destin, my brother Alfred, and, and um, all the over kids, um, Anthony and Eugene, and Bernard, I know all the, and, and Michael, and um, who else was Kev on my block. So me, I'm doing this joint thing, smoking this reefer, because I want to be cool like everybody else. And even not in your community in 1976, it's cool to smoke weed. Oh, it was it was cool. It was it was acceptable. It was it was a Mr. Burridge, my tenth grade teacher at Rice High School, okay, one hundred twenty fourth Street in Lenox, the Congregation of Irish Christian Brothers. I never forget Rice. He said things become social norms. They become accepted, and a lot of times they don't have to be good for you, right? But weed, you know, the, the weed was cool. So I remember. Smoking the weed, and I got high for the first time, and it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And the, the weed is different nowadays. When's the last time you smoked weed? The last time I smoked weed, Jam Master J was alive because he was a smoker. Yeah. But I remember I smoked weed. This one I was drinking still, too. I smoked weed, and this chronic was it, it wasn't like the weed from the back in the days, weed it was mellow. Yes. Yeah, it was, yo, like, there was nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, later on, they had the seeds. You put the weed on the album cover, and they yeah, roll the yeah. seeds off. That yeah. But it was the, the weed was good back then. I think it was more natural. It was wholesome. Probably. It was wholesome. But um, the last time I smoked, Jay was alive, and we was in L.A., and you could just He went to get the weed, and when he got back in the car, he could smell it. It was stunk. It was like ammonia. And for some stupid reason, and I, I was going to add that um, I hated smoking weed. You liked it at first. In the book, you say you felt cool at first. Yeah, and then it started to bug you alcohol, out. Though. Right. So what? The like, weed got me paranoid. After a while, I started getting paranoid. Like, that <laughs> with you. It's cool if you smoke it in a room with a black light on in, in, in fluorescent stickies over there. But trying to smoke it and go out, and you know, especially growing up in Hollis for me, you had to pay attention because it was gangs and it was stick up kids. You had to be um, attentive growing up. So weed would throw you off your game. You, right. You would, you would become vulnerable off the weed. But the weed, when I first smoked the weed, it was cool in Dexter's room. But then when we did it again, and then it was like, yo, come on, let's go outside and play, I'm, it, it didn't feel right. It well, the second you see something else, when you're in that womb, you're safe. And when you're out of the womb, it's not it's, for you. Right. It's like, what the f I have to deal with these people now? Yes, like this? exactly. Yeah, like I didn't care about those guys on the corner. But now, 
I'm thinking about him. Man. I was like, I was for some. It's also, I believe, it's brain chemistry. I believe your drug of choice is your brain chemistry. For me, I could smoke weed, and like it, it shut the fucking neurotic Jew in my head off. And all the, I mean, like I didn't get paranoid. I just fucking like I didn't give a fuck, and I loved it. You know, and I, I, I would have. So you're, you're, you're kind of like the Method Man, Snoop. I, yeah, those I like those guys. Willie I, Nelson. I, I, yeah, I liked all those stuff. But I ruined it with heroin. Like I ruined. That was a whole nother I world. ruined my weed with heroin. So now I don't fuck with anything because, really? like, I can't put any. I can't put myself at risk. I, I didn't. I didn't like weed because it was. It made me paranoid after a while. But the stupid reason is another kid younger than me named Little Pep. When he said it. He said, I don't smoke weed, man, because it makes me paranoid. It makes me think like, too much. Bam, right? It fucked so you up when he said it. confirmation for me. But um, First time you pick up a drink. The first time I picked up a drink. The, I mean, the first, this is before the weed. First time I picked up a drink was after a Christmas party in my house. I probably was like seven. Because every party, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, Birthday party, everything was always at the McDaniels family house. Yeah, your parents threw crazy parties. Crazy party. My parents were cool as hell. Right. You know what I'm saying? Very hardworking, this and that, but they, my house was the place where you come and get your Marvin Gaye and Al Green on. Like, to, my house was the spot. So, the first time I ever tasted a drink was you wake up in the morning and the, the the ash, the cigarettes, and the drinks, and the empty beer cans are still in the living room. Hold up. Hold up for one sec. So we just had to move spots. I've got Daryl, DMC McDaniels, and my dad's house, and they're fucking redoing the building. I yeah, know. But it's so New York, though. They're making a night. You like they it. the you jackhammer. Like, you like how <laughs> yeah. it's interesting because you came, you came from middle class, Hollis, Queens, Suburban Hollis where, Queens, where shit was, nothing was perfect, and you basically invented mainstream hip-hop and you basically i mean you you arrived into the world of hollywood perfection all that shit is nothing like this right nothing like where you came from right nothing right nothing like this so when you come back it's like oh yeah it's you're it's like it feels like home right this this is an inspiring me at 58 years old that it's not over yet it's not over you yet. Ain't, dude, you're just beginning. As long as we're Hollywood here. Hollywood will fool you and say, oh, you know, you're old now. No, you're not. Because you can do anything. Rick Rubin, I heard Rick Rubin said, you can't say what you're doing now is better than what you did or what you did before. It doesn't live. It's not about that. This is like, I feel 12 years old in my room again. Nice. And I just came over to my friend's house. It's beautiful. Wait, so what did Rick Rubin say then? Explain that to me. No, he was saying, I, I saw him do a quote. What he was saying was this. Raising hell in my Adidas was phenomenal. And the walk this way thing changed. But the record I made yesterday, you can't say it's not as good as walk this way just because walk this way did something. And I, this proves that. And not to mention the way he his career is. Because Rick Rubin like makes somebody who you don't think is going to make something right. and he makes something new that doesn't sound new he's you know right, for, right, right, exactly he just see we was going to sample walk this way he said do it over the way the band did it right like you know and i love rick because he's somebody said i don't do nothing i don't know no things like that but if i come near, i'll say why don't you do that he's a controversial character though people give him a lot of shit well hold on 
Like oh, the Beastie right. Boys give him a lot of a shit. Lot the of Black shit. Crows give him a lot of shit. Yeah. How was your experience with him? The coolest thing ever. Like he's a guy that just loves music as much as people. It's almost like you know who Rick is. Rick is a person that you can go downstairs right now, pull anybody off the street, bring him to the studio with you if you're a musician, and say, produce me. And then just listen to whatever they say and do it. <laughs> that's, He's a genuine, genuine, authentic person. He just person. loves music. You right. know what I'm saying? He just, I think it'll be better if you... Because <laughs> we, we was going to rhyme on Walk This Way. Me and Run had rhymes. Run was crying, Rick, Jay, D got bars. D got rhymes. Rick was like, no, I'm telling you. You had verse, original verses for Walk This Way. It was eight-bar drums, six-bar loop of the guitars. You know how rap songs go. Sure. You loop it. Over and RZA does it, Dre does it. You loop the drums and the little the, the riff plays and don't go to the singing. Goes back to the beat. So it was a loop of drums, guitar, drums, guitar. I remember my rhyme. We came out in 83. This is 86 now. We putting out this Raising Hell album. We didn't expect Raising Hell to do as good as the first album. But we knew we had to be the best DJs and MCs to ever touch a mic and turntable because you look to the left, there's Rakim. You look to the right, there's Big Daddy Kane. You look to the front, it's Chuck D and Public Enemy. You look over there, it's like Kooji rapping polo. There was a lot going on. Yeah. And we were like the kind of leaders, but you know, people thought we were soft because we was getting too commercial. We was getting too famous. That's very So we had to make an album. Our thing was you gonna make an album and bust everybody ass park jam. New York City style. Right, right, So right. walk this way. I remember my rhyme. I supposed to go, I'm DMC in the place to be. I've been rapping on a mic since 83. I'm the best MC in history, and there will never be an MC better than me. That's why they call me the K-I-N-G. And then Ron was supposed to go, and I'm DJ Ron, and I'm getting it done. And, you know, the typical, he's going to kill him like that. Rick says, that's all good. <laughs> it's very, that's all good. That's very good rapping. But you should do the record over the way the band did it. So me and Ron go, Rick, what the fuck you think we doing? We're going to loop this motherfucker, sample it, and Ron, he says, no, what I mean by doing it over the way they did it is do it over the way they originally wrote it. So Jay, Cover rest it. in peace, Jay goes, oh, wow. Yo, that, and then me and Ron turn to Jay, what the fuck? You remember, remember Arnold and Willis? Sure. What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Jason? Yo, it took us a week to go. He saw it, though. When, when Rick Rubin said it, it, said it, Jay was Jay like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's a cover. It's yep. the first hip-hop cover of a rock and roll song. Yep. Because Jay's like, it's never been done. Nobody had ever singers cover other singers' records. If we was a band, we could have did it. That's, that's oh, I'm trying to say if we was a band. Like, say if Randy was like a real band. Oh, they covered Walk This Way as a band. Jay was like, motherfucking... MCs covering uh, the beat jam people that we rhymed over. The, that's what Jay. It's was revolutionary. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like the Beatles covered Chuck Berry or the Rolling Stones covered Chuck right, Berry right, 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 or exactly. Led Zeppelin covered Robert right. Johnson. But Run DMC covering Aerosmith is a whole different it's thing. A whole different. Thing. Which is what gave it the juice. Exactly. And the fact that Aerosmith was on that was all fucked up and they needed a break. Look, look for them. My joke is they could have made a record with God, Jesus, and Moses and nobody would have cared. Right, right. No, it's God, Jesus. Nope, nope, they over. They were humble enough when they got the call 
Yo, I'm Rick Rubin. I'm producing Run DMC. I know you know who Run DMC is. We're doing Walk This Way Over, and they want to do it with you. No, we want y'all to do it with them. We're doing it, but we want y'all to do it with them. Who's this? You know, the, 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 the assistant picks up the phone. Right, right, right. This is Rick Rubin. I'm producing Run DMC. You know who Run DMC is. We're doing Walk This Way Over. We want y'all to do it with us. Hold on. Click. Hey, guys, there's some guy named Rick Rubin on the phone. So for them, they was like, okay, yeah, we kind of know these Run DMC guys. Yeah, we know King of Rocker. So for them, is what the management is. Do you want to do it? For them, it's what the fuck we got to lose. Yeah, of course. You know, and and also, Steven Tyler was always so, he, he loved, like, black music. And he loved course. that yep. kind of stuff. I always tell people about that. He's you sit down like and that. interview to Aerosmith. If you sit down and interview Stephen Tyler and Joe Perry about them, they're going to spend half the interview talking about the, their black blues influence. Exactly. And, and, yeah. but, and you had already established the King of Rock persona. So was it enticing right. to you? And we're going to get back to the beginning of your alcoholism, too. We yeah, just jumped into something. I wanted that... to be a rock star. Exactly. I want to be the King of Rap. The Curtis Blow and Melly Mel. Me growing up in Queens in the 70s, Dan Ingram, 77 WABC. Right, right, right. They played Slaughter Family Stone. Yeah. They played, remember, it was a phenomenal state. They played, it wasn't segregated. But that's where I heard the Led Zeppelins. That's where I heard the Beatles. That's where I heard um, Proco Harum. Yeah, man. That's where I heard all of those. Um, Harry Chapin. You love Harry Chapin. And Jim Key, I love him today. And Jim Croce. And Jim Croce, all of that. Johnny, but that's where you, you just heard You it. know how they do the Spotify at the end of the year? They do like the biggest song you played all year. My song last year was Jim Croce Operator. Really? That was my my most played song for really? so. I don't know how that's possible, but yeah, that was my most played. Really? Song. Yeah, isn't that weird? Wow! Isn't that really, really weird? I, I yeah. That was your most played. Isn't song. that bizarre? Because it's it resonates. I don't. With you it just something. makes me feel like I'm home. Yeah. There's something about it. Jim Croce's sure. fucking uh, amazing. You know, he's great, and uh, but I was yeah. never like a big Jim Croce guy. No, but up. it was the music itself. When I I lived in Los Angeles for years, right. And easy listening oldies stations in Los Angeles are way different than in New York. They mm. like play songs in New York. They play songs that reference New York. And right. in Los Angeles, they play songs that reference Los Angeles. So they would play Operator, you know, with uh, I got something in L.A. with my best old best friend, Ray. You know what I mean? Like, oh. So like they would pump Operator out there. And I was all fucked up. So it reminded me of that. Right. And then there was a TV show called... That's like me growing up with um, Cats in the Cradle. Please. I just always hear that music. There was just something mystical about it. That... I think that's a good word. Where were you at in your alcoholism at Walk This Way? We missed the whole... Oh, first it wasn't that alcoholic because... Let me explain it to you. Wasn't that alcoholic. I was more alcoholic than everybody else. But Old English and Bacardi rum, everybody drunk. Smith drunk probably 440s. I was getting celebrated because I drunk 12. <laughs> if right. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, and I remember Smith being drunk as hell. I'm not an alcoholic. I just drink a lot. So, I'm in my mind, my rationalizing, I'm not as I as felt as like, a, hold up, people in Hollis, Dougie Fresh would tell you stories. I always have 40s with me, but everybody always had 40. I just had more than everybody else. But because it was a septic part of the way in the hood, we drank 40s. DJ's 12 saw so the hero. Now, at the same time, like 
but let's go back for a second. Because but I'm not, I, I want to tell you about when I went to my, my, I was like seven or eight, and you go downstairs and you sip the liquor and say, "What the fuck? Oh my god! What the fuck? It's not fucking. Uh, it's not C and C grape. What the hell is my mother and father doing? What the fuck? It was the name. Oh, you go to the Ballantine in in Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, yeah. There's some of little kids. Nothing's shit. tasting that good though. You take the old beer that the, your uncle drunk last night. And you go what the fuck. What the fuck? What is this? What they're doing? So that was like a turnoff to me until I found out what the shit do to you after weed. So with the raising hell years, eighty six to eighty eight, everybody was fucking drinking. So nobody noticed. First, that I had a problem. I, I, I didn't notice I had a problem because you're supposed to do that, right? I love how much you love comics. I love how much you talk about it. You have a comic company. Daryl makes comics now. I love comics. I came up in this room watching Run DMC on the TV, reading comics in this room. So this is pretty cool for me. You loved the superhero, the ability to transform from being mild-mannered Peter Parker to Spider-Man. Where does Spider-Man live at? In Queens. It's great. It was real to me. Yeah, well, you could see your spots. It was real to me. We could see New York. That's why DC fucked up. Because they invented a place, and it's like They're who cares? They're trying to be in Metropolis and Gotham. No, it's like what is it? Was that? Corny. They didn't Wasn't know. I don't corny. know why they. And they also like they had to create something when it was all right here. So why don't you just put this right? So so you grew Stanley, up. Stanley, I love you. I love for I, doing it. Yeah, I love it. I couldn't leave the block. So every time I open up a Marvel comic book, I got a geographical lesson about the world I lived in, and I ain't have to meet. I learned about the Lower East Side. I learned about Midtown Manhattan. I learned about Harlem. Yeah, yeah. I learned about New York, Power like Stanley. And you know what's beautiful? This is funny too. You know, I had the best parents ever. But um, I went in my room a million times and prayed to God, God, will you kill my mother? Because they didn't let me out the house. Right. I was a kid at when that street light come on. You have your ass in this house. And I remember being in the house, because it usually get dark about 9.30, 10 o'clock in the summertime. Yep. Right? And Nathan and Jocko and Warren Glenn and Gregory, I can hear them outside playing until 1 in the morning. Right, having fun. And when I was just, you know, when I got a little older, I had, when I got 12, I could stay out until 11. But I remember 10 and lower, God, will you please kill my father with a picture? It's a great prayer. No, yes. it's the best prayer. You yes. mad yes. as hell because everybody is outside playing. So number one, I had to have imagination. The comic books educated me. And what I mean by that is Warren Glenn and Gregory, Jocko and Nathan. I don't know how they did this. I guess the movies didn't give a fuck. They got to see Foxy Brown. They got to see the Pam Graham movies. They got to see Shaft. And so all the, my parents would get babysitters to go see Shaft. And I come outside the next day, Jocko, Nathan, and all of them, they went down. They were with your parents. The parents, <laughs> no, the parents didn't care. About right, them. of course. And your parents kept you in, which, which kept you reading comics. Right. And, and, and comics was educating me. Because in my world, comic books was the only place I saw geeky, nerdy, awkward people like me who were smart. I was a straight-A student, but they were badass. But I wasn't that badass because in my world, the badass people are the gangbangers and the thugs. You know what I'm saying? So I did, And that's why I hated weed. 
I got it. Because it was not what superheroes did kind of thing? No, because when I smoke the weed, it throws me off my game because I'm quick. I'm oh, running right, when they right, come right, to take right, the money. Right. I can get right. away. I'm a little bigger than all the other kids. Right. When I smoke the weed, I'm getting caught out there. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? You if y'all swing on me, I can move. Right. You, but right. when you smoke weed, you're getting snuffed. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, and now, because that's in my mind, the weed, and run, when Run started hanging with me later on, run, me and Run didn't hang out till eighth grade. But when Run started hanging with me later on, he was like, Dad, you bold. I said, no, I ain't bold. I'm not fucking high. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the weed made me. I'd smoke the weed. It felt good to smoke it. But then, like little Pep said, it made me think. So now I'm paranoid. Oh, shit, that guy over there is going to take my money. Oh, shit, this guy over there. They probably wasn't, but if I didn't smoke. But when I drunk, <laughs> let no motherfucker try. Right, right. What are you going to do? I got confidence. So The comic books was my confidence to exist in this world. Realm. So the equation I want to talk about is comic books mm-hmm. plus alcohol equals hip hop in this weird way. No, right? No, it was comic books that equal hip hop. Same imagination <clears throat> kind of thing. Yeah, it's all imagination. Prior to hip hop coming into my house, all I did was take, remember the 10 garbage cans? Yeah. The 10. Yeah, sure. Where Oscar the Grouch lived. Yes. Those garbage can tops. Or my Captain America shield. My father's actual hammer is Thor's hammer. Right. So I used to spend all my time playing superheroes. That's all I did. It was pretend, pretend, make believe, make believe, make believe, make believe. Stan Lee's comic books. The reason why I was a good student was I need to know what the fuck Silver Surfer and Galactus and Reed Richards is talking about. So from first grade to Sixth grade, I'm paying attention. Well, they make it cool to be smart. Reed yes. Richards is like the greatest character in the history you of just comic books. You just summed it up. So I'm a straight A student. I'm reading comic books, and I'm getting an education of the city that I live in without leaving the block. So somewhere along the line, it's preparing me. So I hear a tape of this guy called Grandmaster Flash taking Sheik's Good Time record. That the radio plays from start to end, and it goes off and play the next one. Or prior to hip hop coming into Queens, there was DJs that would play at the block parties, but they would play the whole Evelyn Champagne King record, mix it into Sheik's Good Time. When that went off, they'll play a Marvin Gaye. Or I'm hearing a tape now. Remember, there's no videos, no album cover, no nothing. This dude called the Grand. First of all, the name caught me because it's superhero. Flash, that's the Flash in the book. Why is he naming himself over? You got to understand what you kids think. Why, and what the fuck is a grandmaster? I and didn't know about Furious Five <laughs> right. sounds great. But before I heard that, this guy's taking, um, these are the good times. Dun, dun. Ling, 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 ling. Good times. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Good times. The shit did it again. What the fuck? So now I'm looking at the box. And it keeps going, good times. Boom, boom. But up on bump, 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 good times. Then it goes, good times, good times, good. What the fuck? How is it doing? Then it goes, not only good times, good times, good. Then it goes, good, good, good flashes catching the good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then it record go, what the fuck? And right when it happened on that tape, I go home trying to figure out I'm Tony Starks now. 
Something just happening there. And it, it's funny how my evolution of hip-hop happened. All of a sudden, my brother comes home. Come on, we're going over to Anthony Wallace's house. Why? Anthony got turntables. That's how it happened. So I go over to Anthony Wallace's house. He was the first guy in Hollis, my little area, to get turned in. I'm sitting there, and Anthony's doing what the guy was doing on the tape. So I still didn't care about it. I'm still a kid. I got my comic book. It was experience it. It goes away for something. My brother brings it back to me, and it goes away. It wasn't with me yet. So then, Booby Long, my brother's other friend, Booby. Anthony had, remember the newspapers and magazines used to advertise hi-fi stereos? Sure, sure, sure. What was your favorite part to look at? The different speakers and all that. So Anthony's DJ set was the household hi-fi stereo with a bunch of household speakers and two of the household turntables. A couple of weeks later, Booby, he didn't do stick-ups and he didn't sell weed. He had three real jobs. So Booby, we could call Booby. Anthony lived in a house like me and Alfred. Booby, we, we didn't have projects and apartment buildings like this. We had one in the middle of Hollis around the corner from me. Booby lived there. He called me and my brother. He called my brother over. I had to go with him. We go to Booby's house. He got techniques. Oh, shit. He got the expense because he had three jobs. Nice, yeah, Booby yeah. was rich. So then my brother goes, yo, we got to get Because now my brother got it. His boys got it. We got to get it. So me and my brother, my brother goes, we got to get turntables, Daryl. It sits me down. Daryl, we got to get turntables, man. We got to do the DJ thing. And I'm looking at him like, you know, what the, I don't care about that thing. You know what I'm saying? It's cool when I hear it, but I got my comic books. I got my guy. I was a huge fan of the um, 30s, Bella Lugosi, Boris Korg. Oh, the, the, the hard shit. Yeah. The Wolfman yeah. and the, all of those were the best. And the black and white Godzilla films. Classic. The Ghidra, Morth, all of that. And Rodan. That, Wrote up. That's my wife. Good. What the fuck you told? I don't need no turn to you need to turn. So he says, here's what we're gonna do. My brother goes, me and my brother had a problem. We didn't sell weed. We didn't rob houses like all other kids. And we didn't do stick-ups. I mean, it was kids 16, 17 years old. Yo, such and such did a stick-up, but everybody that was doing stickers was going to jail. I couldn't believe it was 16 and 7. The 14, 13, 12, 13, and 14 kids was going to Spofford. You don't want so to go crime. There. You don't want to. No. It was crime. It was Spofford when you was younger and in Rikers. Yeah, you don't. Island. You don't want to go to either. So my brother goes, "Yo, we got a problem. We don't sell weed and we don't do stickers, but we got to get the turntables. So here's what we're gonna do. And this is funny. We're gonna do a comic book sale because we had a turntable, amplifier, receiver, and speakers. We just need to get one turntable and a mixer and a forty dollar Gemini mixer. They had a forty dollar budget mixer. When the stores used to sell every, remember here in Manhattan, it was a bunch of stores that sold Everything. stereo equipment. Yeah. So me and my brother did a comic book sale to get a Gemini mixer, turntables, and some records to go with what you had. What we had in there. It was lower budget than Anthony's. Anthony's was dope. Boobies was the real shit. He right. had what Flash was using. Right, right. So right after that, Rappers Delight comes out. Rappers and Light comes out. So my brother brings home this very attractive looking single, because remember, there's no albums. And it said, Sugar Hill Gang with the Rainbow. It's very attractive. And he put that on a on turntable, put the needle on it, and this thing said, Hip Hop. What the fuck? Oh, shit. Okay. But it was still a little, I'm, I'm a kid, so it was still a little older for me. But it was Ron, it was the Ron thing. The thing that caught my attention was Big Bang Hank's rhyme about Superman. Right, right, right. 
oh shoot, this guy's talking about so. So now I'm in. It's cool. And then I noticed, oh, this is a remake of the Sheet Good Time thing. So I'm putting two and two together. So my brother goes, we use most of my comics to get the money. So after the, we get the equipment established, he goes, yo, when I ain't home, don't touch my turntables. But that's the big brother stuff. So when he would leave, I would go in the basement to try to figure out what I just heard with the good times things. So you were trying to put it together. Yeah, I was just trying to do what the grandmaster guy with the name of Flash from the DC comic books was doing. And I was able to do it. Did you, were you a D, could you DJ good? It was incredible. Can you still do it? No, because I stopped it. But I'll get to that. So now, every time I'm hearing a tape of a DJ doing so, super sperm, remember all the jams? Yeah. I would go in the basement because my brother, would, every, every beat, break beat that was coming into Queens to the tapes from um, Grandmaster Flash, Grand Wizard Theodore, Africa Mambada, Zulu Nation tapes, Furious Five Flash tapes, and Theodore tapes, and any DJ tapes come. My brother would get the records that were popular, and I would learn to do it. So now what happened was, he comes home with this record, and it was playing, which is a white album sleeve, record sleeve, because it was an album. And it was a red label record, very bland. It just said enjoy in big black letters. But then it said Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Right. So I became, my DJ name was Grandmaster Get High in the Basement. This is just for me. Grandmaster Get High in yeah, the Grandmaster Basement? Yeah, Grandmaster Get High. You didn't need Old English or Reefa to intoxicate you because my music will intoxicate you. Brilliant. I wish I would have lived with that. You don't have to get high because my music will handle all the stuff that the drugs do. So now in my basement, because of the Furious Five, Sue, and the name of the song was Super Rapping. I forgot that it said Enjoy Grandmaster, Super, Superheroes. And that shit came on. It wasn't like hip hop, the hip hop. That was some disco rapping shit. This shit was at the party night. It was something else. Classic so hip hop. I became two entities that day. I'm Grandmaster Get High and I'm EZD, the MC. Because my name is Daryl. D is a letter in my name. And it's easy for me to do that. So that's what I was doing in my basement, all alone. And then my brother goes to the army. He goes to the and army. He, and he doesn't take the turntables with him. He can't take them. <laughs> so it's all mine. So that's all I did from eighth grade, or spent, or seventh grade, all through eighth grade. That's all I did. So this one day, Joseph Simmons from the other class, he comes over. He got a paper bag with cold fried chicken in it. And I go, yo, where the other students at? He goes, it's just me. So it's just you. We play one-on-one. -on -one. Finish playing one-on-one. -on -one. I go, he goes, let me get some water. I go, oh, my mother and father don't get home till 4. It's 3.15. Come on in to get the water. So when I let him in to get the water, go wait in the basement, he goes in the basement, sees my turn to Dude, his eyes just pop out of his head. So I come downstairs. He goes, you do that? I go, no. Why? It's my brothers. Because it was my, my make-believe time. Right, right, right. That me DJing and rhyming and writing my rhymes is for me. It's my escape. So I go, no, no. Well, he goes, well, my brother's name was Russia Rush. I know you see the flyers on the telephone poles in the trees. He manages Curtis Blow and he starts going in and he, he books Grandmaster Flat. So he's naming the Flash and the first five guys that I'm fantasizing about. He tells me, yeah, I'm the son of Curtis Blow. When it's not school year, during the summertime, I go and DJ and rap with Curtis. What? 
I go, I do it a little bit. Yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, he's like, you do it. He said, show me something. So I do it. He was like, yo. That's he said, I don't know how to do the quick mix. He said, I know how to DJ and blend and all that. So I taught him how to do the quick mix. So what we would do after school is get out 220, 10-minute walk from 2.30 to 3, we play one-on-one. Then from 3 to 3.45, we go in the basement and DJ. So we did that for about seven times. Usually when I know runs coming over, after school, I hide my rhyme book under the coffee table because the turntables was in the corner of my basement and then there was a couch. There was a closet and then it's the couch and the coffee Did table. Did you call him Run then? No, no, Joseph. I didn't do He's DJ Run, but he was Joe to me. If you go look at old school flyers, you'll see DJ Run, the son of Curtis Blow. So he was a professional rapper since he was 15. So this one particular day, I'm DJing, i never forget, this particular day, I forget to hide my rhyme book. And I look over, I shit. Joe picks it up and he starts looking at it. Then he looks at me, he goes, yo, Daryl, you wrote this? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's a hobby. He goes, yo, this is real good. Then he goes, I'll never forget. I'm on the turntables and he's over on the couch like that. And he looks up at me, he's, this is really good. And he looks up at me and it's like a movie. He goes, I'll never forget these words. When my brother, everything went slow motion. When my brother Russell lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. I'll never forget, I was looking at him. That shit went in one year. I was like, motherfucker, no. So now I get to Rice High School. I'm hearing this different rhyme thing, right? So I go from ninth grade to 12th grade. When I get to 12th grade, the Cold Crush Forum sees versus the Fantastic Five at Harlem World. One of the most classic, iconic moments in hip hop history. When I heard that, I went from being EZD to DMC because the Cold Crush had a rhyme routine using Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle no medley wow. that I grew up on. See, my whole thing was preparation. I get to 12, from ninth grade to 12th grade, I'm getting a one on one, ultra in depth course on, on hip-hop. what hip hop really is. It has nothing to do with these bullshit records. That's why the 50th anniversary of hip-hop is coming. That means it's been going on for 49 years. And every year with the hip-hop anniversary, they talk about us record We are relevant to the discussion. Me, Jay-Z, Eminem, all of us record-making motherfuckers. Don't say nothing. Talk to the motherfuckers that invented this shit. Because the greatest period ever in the history of hip-hop is not the period of recorded rap. It's before that. So the Cold Crush, I'm listening to 77 WABC, falling in love with Jim Crowtree and Harry Chapin. Sure. So Cold Crush comes out with this routine over Sharon, the rock band's rocking in a pocket song, sped up. The song was got a rock, rock it in a pocket. The DJ's. Flash and Theodore and Bam would speed it up so it go do 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 get do gotta rock rock get in with the with the with the fucking um chipmunk voices, but then they said they came on and this is when DMC was born, this routine with a Harry Chapin melody, D from Daryl, MC from McDaniel's, I'm becoming DMC. Then I just started pinning very aggressive. Before it was like, hey, I'm Daryl Mack and this is my mom's and this is. Now I became, I'm DMC to K-I-N-G, the baddest motherfucker. My game is boom, boom. So I graduate. Class of 82 in June, I graduate. 
send my resume out from um, the guidance counselor and all of that. August of 82, a letter comes in the mail addressed to me. Oh, shoot. Well, cool. This is like, whoa. This means I'm getting old and I'm growing up. I open it. It says St. John's University on it. I open it up. Mr. McDaniels. Somebody calling me Mr. Oh, nice. shit. Mr. McDaniels, we are proud to inform you have been accepted to St. John's University. What? Oh, shoot. So I run past my mother and father in the kitchen. Shoot. Boy, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I run down to the basement. Why? I got to go in the basement and write a rhyme about wow. getting accepted. So I go in the basement. I'm DMC. In the place to be, I'm going to St. John's University. And since kindergarten, I, I wanted to look back on my whole journey to school. She said, since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge, but after 12th grade. So I write this rhyme. It's in June of 82. August of 82. The phone rings. It's Joe. Daryl, what's up? You know, we've seen each other. He went to LaGuardia Community College. We would see each other at the PAL, but, you know. We but you weren't chilling school. all the time. No, oh, right, because that's how we grown, and we don't go to elementary school no more. We got our own lives. But we're just hanging out on and off. So then he calls August 82. Daryl, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Remember four years ago when I told you that when my brother lets me, yeah, grab your rhyme book. We're going to the studio. He came and got me on a Sunday in August of 82. We went to Green Street Recording Studio, right down here on Green Street off of Houston. Houston and we made it. It's like that, and that's the way it is with the B-side Sucker MCs. Now, hold up for a second. My life hasn't been this changed. I, I think there's something important that needs to be said here. Like, you hear about hip-hop origin stories you know I'm, I'm a big hip-hop fan and i like hearing hip-hop origin stories and you kind of just assume that there's a, a couple of people that are from a neighborhood and are chilling and whatever and it seems like this break between you and run was long enough that somebody else could have gotten that spot oh, for so sure. so the fact that four years ago he remembered your rhymes it's like it, tells you a lot. it says a real lot I think. And the fact that you weren't, I mean, the sad thing to me. As he was going to be a solo artist. So why didn't he do it? He didn't want to be alone. And this is funny, too. Once he said, D, we're going to write this record chord. If you listen to Suckham C's, he rhymes three times and I'm only at the end. Because that was his record alone. What had happened was Russell said, D, when Run in eighth grade was Russell, let me make a record. Russell said, no, no, no. But he was very persistent. And Russell was like, okay, Joey, here's the deal. Show me a high school diploma. And I'll let you go to the studio. Because Russell said, if your record flops or nobody cares, Russell's at least smart. you got something to fall Russell back. knew what he was doing. So what happened to Joe, Joe was going to do his, his record. But he remembered his friend Daryl McDaniels got some dope shit. I'm not going to be. Run had a record before it's like that Suckham C's called Street Kid. And he came over to my house and played it for me. I'm just a street kid. Street kid. I'm just a street kid, street kid, working hard and struggle. You know, the typical rap thing. So now he comes in my basement, sees what I'm writing, and then he calls me now because he remember that. He had no idea I had four years of some other shit that was about to explode. So we're going to make it like that. He lays circumcised, and Russell was totally against me. Remember the, um, the disco records and the club records in New York? The fat lady, Marsha Walsh, summer, yeah, 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 yeah. but they made the model and the people yeah, yeah, yeah. tour. Russell was going to do that with Run DMC. The group was going to be called Run The MC. And I was on this like that. 
but I wasn't on circumcised. Run was going to tour with whoever Russell was going to hire to be because he. Did, I'm 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 Joe's knucklehead friend. This is fucking nerdy, geeky Daryl, Joe. This ain't Curtis Blow. You're not bringing me Melly Mel. So Russ was totally against it. He only let me do the record in the studio from a production standpoint because I wrote it. But when it was time to go out and tour, you know how managers are. But you're going to get hear, a nice, light skin looking hear, kid. But didn't he hear your voice? Who? Russell. When he yeah, heard he you heard say, I'm DMC in the place to be, he didn't no, hear No, no. That, this is what changed it. He heard me on It's Like That. But It's Like That was no different from Planet Rock. Anybody could have been singing. Right. Planet Rock was established because you knew it was a soul sonic force. Mr. Big's power. Wow. You ain't changing, Mr. Big. But for Run, VMC, I was just fortunate that my initials was DMC. And it sounded it a lot sounded like DMC. Because like, if it ain't work out, Russell wouldn't have me. So Joe go, we make it like that. Larry Smith, greatest hip-hop producer ever nobody knows about. Larry Smith produced Run DMC's first two albums by herself. And Houdini's groundbreaking album with friends, freaks come out at night, fuck. Basketball. Enough said, all of that. And, all right, so Larry Smith. So we give it to Larry. So Run goes in and says, I got this song called Circumcise. He goes, make it. I'm sitting in the studio like this, I'm done. So Run comes out and says, D, go in there and put a rhyme on the record. Because now this is beat rhyming. This is, it's like that was a written record that we got to get it on radio, positive message, the whole thing. Circumcise was just the shit we do in the streets. And Run knew I could do that because he saw what I was writing in the basement. So he goes, yo, go in the studio and put a rhyme on her. I go, nah, man. I'm trying to get me in trouble. Russ, Russell hates me. Russell was telling me, D, go sit over here. Don't come nowhere near the board. You go see, stay over there. So I'm just being obedient. And I'm looking at my watch because I didn't tell my mother and father I was going to make a record. I thought it was like going over to your house. So long story short, Joe goes, motherfucker, just go say your newest rhyme. Okay. What was my newest rhyme? Um, DMC. And the, so I go in there and I lay that. As soon as I come out the booth, who's the first person? Russell, oh my God, I didn't notice in that. So that was, a, that was my defining moment. There's another thing in the book around this time that, that spoke to me is where you, you said you would find yourself drinking a lot and be able to spit lyrics forever, kind of braggadocious lyrics and, right. and fueled by alcohol and, and it kind of, Confidence in so, the bottle. So, like, how much were you drinking in this period? During this period, we didn't drink till after we laid the verses. And then you used to because you didn't want to fuck it up. Yeah. So after that, I probably if it's studio because me and Run, we went and stay in a ten-hour session. We go lay our vocals, leave, and let Larry do it. And then later on, when we put Jay in a group, Jay would stay there. So. Run would smoke a lot of weed. I would probably go through, and this is before 40 ounces. I would probably drink three quarts at this time. Three quarts. It's a lot. Of you know, people. other people would just drink one quarter of English. Three quarts. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Yeah, Quar quarts are beer. such a funny amount of, of beer. A quart yeah. of beer. It's never, it's never enough. It's so funny. Yeah. But I, I, was, I was drinking quarts. And when the 40s came, the 40s was a whole other thing because now we get money. So now... When we would tour, I would fucking fill, go to the ice machine with the garbage cans in the hotel rooms and fill the tub with ice. And we put like 50, but everybody was drinking Smith, Garfield. Jay would have an occasional 40 now and then. Hurricane would probably drink two. And they would DJ stay Hurricane. smoking weed, though. They would, those, they would and you Run and Jay smoke more weed than God could possibly grow 
on this earth. They were rot. Them motherfuckers smoke all the time. And when was the smash of smashes though? Like when when did you go from nerdy kid about to go to St. John's to, you know, biggest? I mean, like run I DMC. mean, Rockbox, Rockbox, first record on on what's his name? But I forgot to add this. Before the drinking escalated, it went from it went from quarter to old English. And it was, that was during the day. That was normal. Come out at 11 o'clock. Everybody in the hood drunk Old English all day. Or they drunk Cold 45, which Billy D. Williams yeah. made famous. Smoke weed all day. Newport cigarettes in the 80s. Because Cools, when I was little, my aunts and uncles, they was Cools. Sure. That's why Chuck D. said, a fool smokes Cools because he chokes on camels. Because camel cigarettes didn't have a filter. Remember that? So let me forget. Let's go back a little bit. Around us, like that circumcision times, cocaine was everywhere. So we, there was always cocaine, weed, and alcohol around. Cocaine was, everybody did coke. Did you do coke then? I did coke, yeah, I did coke. When did you coke the first but time? But in the beginning, at the fucking studio. At this, with Russell and him. Russell and him. And Russell loved coke. coke. Yeah, yeah, and Joe knew about coke before me because he was with Curtis. I'm telling you, I cracked. Pat came later and just wrecked it. Cocaine. I remember they went. They used to sell dimes of Coke, and then twenty fives of Coke. When I started going to the fever, I found out about Ace. That was all another thing. Now I spoke with Man Cow about this. I spoke with a bunch of journalists and and radio personalities and talk show person, and we would mention this on air. The audience, we don't get it wrong, but the Coke was good in the eighties. No, that's a bad thing to say. But you gotta the coke. Was Our audience really, is just drug addicts, so like, yes, go in. The coke was real good. It was coke. It was that Scarface and was, cartel? And it was coke. smooth, and it fucking it was just coke, and it was good. <laughs> that's real funny. So there was a lot of coke in the beginning, from like eighty three, all the way till about. 89. Now, we were sniffing coke. Jay didn't, Jay sniffed, Kane sniffed, but they didn't get high off. You know what I'm saying? It well, was it, very casual. Because so Jay is cool. You know, Jay's younger than us, but he's older than rustling and fly and shit. So they, they did coke the cool way. You know, me and my friend, shit, I got money. Let's go fucking get a gram of that shit. And that runs out. Let's go get another one. And every Roxy, Fever, Roseland, The World, Danceteria, but Coke. Well, we would go to radio stations during the tape. We'd go to fucking Florida and we go to the radio station. We go to the, you know, the R&B black station and stuff and walk in the booth. The guy on the air. Hey, y'all, this is 105.9. And Coke sitting out like it was such a part of society. But it certainly wasn't in the music at all. No, like, no, no, no. If no. you listen to the music, you no. don't know. Everybody. And it doesn't feel like Coke unless now that I'm hearing you mention it, like maybe it does feel a little like Coke. Like, were you using Coke when you guys were recording? No, 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 no. Coke was a, a, a recreational. Super like, so very social recreational. shit. Yes, super, super so. The, the, the constant drugs was weed and alcohol. Bacardi, this is before Hennessy, you know. It was Bacardi, rum and Cokes. It was a Smirnoff vodka. There was this other, um, there was this peach-flavored liquor. We were mixed the vodka with it and called Fuzzy Navels. And it was Old English. Now and that, that was my life. But see, 
it didn't get out of hand for me and drinking, drinking until the 90s, which is what I talk about in the book. Right. At that point, New York City is such an incredible place. Ooh, there's such a, like, it's such an incredible and, world. And, and there's that, that, that weird connection between new wave music and hip hop. You and go downtown. And punk rock. There's Blondie and the Ramones. Yeah, Lou Reed, <laughs> Madonna, Run DMC, the Beasties, Africa Bambada, Basquiat. Keith Haring. It was a crazy, it beautiful time. Because New York was poor, and, and, and people were here, and it could support and art. It was just art and creativity and fashion, and it was pure. It was the fun. And how do drugs Ooh. and alcohol intersect with that scene? And also... Everybody as, was getting high. Every, and you were this kid who was a nerd, who wasn't allowed out, and now you're the coolest person in the biggest and city in the world. Money. What's that? Let me get that. <laughs> how did that feel? Was that hard... How much did alcohol protect? No, you know protect? what? It didn't feel. It didn't feel like abuse because when we was broke, we was still doing it. It's just now I could. When we was broke, it was like, yo, you got a dollar, I got. We get nickel bags, save your money up. Yo, next weekend we gonna get how's the fuck? We gonna get a fifth of fucking Southern Comfort and this and that. So the problem was now I'm getting money, I could get more of it. So it wasn't like it was for you know what I'm saying. It wasn't like. It wasn't, we were addicts, but we didn't think we were addicts. And also it didn't have the consequences that it wound up having. Right. You talked about- We got high, wake up the next day, go get high again. And, but it wasn't a thing. There was no consequences. There was, and, and in the book, there's a lot of talk about anxiety and depression. Was there depression in that period? Yes. It was what, what I was diagnosed with when I finally went to therapy. They told me why I was drinking. Running Jay from day one always expressed how they felt. Fuck you, to create. That's healthy. Fuck you. Running Jay would, I would never argue. Because subconsciously, and even to this day, D's the nicest guy ever. He gets to know. He just just, I'm like a, a little you different. You seem now. like a very nice person. I am. But what's a little different now, I will say how I feel without holding it in. So when I went to rehab, I was diagnosed with suppressed motion. When I went to rehab to stop drinking, it's where I discovered therapy. But I went to rehab to stop drinking because I wanted to go find my birth mother because I just found out I was adopted at age Well, that's when the world got dropped on your head. Right. But instead of telling Jay and Run, fuck you, I don't want to do this record, there was a lot of shit I did in my career that I did, and I shouldn't have did it. But instead of expressing how I felt, it's covered with the orange. So you get high, but when it goes away, the emotions are still there. So all this shit was building up, and it didn't explode until down with the kinks. Okay, so like in terms of, but in terms of day-to-day -day consequences of alcohol or drug use, there weren't any real serious no, ones No, because everybody then. was doing it. And, and I always make that clear. Everybody, it wasn't like, it wasn't like in 83, 84, 85, D is... It wasn't noticeable because everybody had 40. But you know, though, there are people in 83, 84, and 85 that are drinking more than you, and they are fucking having horrible consequences. Yes, but it never happened to me. Right, right. But, uh, but you guys Eventually also, it did. I got acute pancreatitis. I know. I know. Because that's what... Look, you can drink 40s. The motherfuckers that was drinking... But the, the, these motherfuckers was drinking Wild Hour Shrows, um, Blackberry Brandy... These motherfuckers was like, all they did was get high. I and, guess then, I and, then, had, and then crack. I never 
one of the things that people don't understand, I never got high at home. Like, I didn't bring it home. It was only when I was out to function and fit in is when I did it. Well, the other thing about Run DMC is that, you know, like, there was, like, you, I love how you describe jumpsuit and Indian headdress wearing hip-hop groups, and you guys were the first totally accessible group that really showcased Fooly. styles. You know. As it is. Exactly. And the rhymes reflected that, too, your guys' personality. Yes, we wasn't disco rapping, DJ man, want to be on the radio. No, we was light-skinned, living queens. I love eating chicken and cup. My cat got a big, long catty knot. Whoa! It was appealing. It didn't matter if you was in Compton or Beverly Hills. You could relate to that because that's what was in New York. And the, the, the coolest thing and the weirdest thing to me is it's like... We wasn't celebrities when people... We were dynamic, but when people saw Run DMC, they felt part of it. Now these guys are such celebrities, it's untouchable. Well, that was what made you guys so cool. so popular, so cool, so accessible. You're just like y'all. But then you did become celebrities. You. When does celebrity fucking change your life? Probably when Walk This Way came out. And I say this in interviews. Now I know what Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson feel like. Because prior to Walk This Way... I used to drive on the Grand Central Parkway to go everywhere, or the LIE or whatever, and I could just drive and not cause an accident. And back then, I could wear my full gear and fit in. But once walked this way, like people who knew Run DMC from Rockbox and King of Rocky had to know. But if I was just standing on a corner prior to 86, I looked like the black kid that live on your block. Right. Or I looked like the drug dealers. But when Walk This Way came out, it'd be, that's fucking Batman. Right, 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 right. That's so that's what, it was Walk This Way that made me fucking, I can't wear my costume in public no more. So what did you wear? My costume in public. <laughs> <laughs> so but I started real, I couldn't go nowhere now because now everybody knows. And when Aerosmith recorded with you, they were sober at that point, right? Yes, they were sober when we first met, when we recorded with them. And when we did the video, were you they got, were nice, they were cool. And that video is such, I mean, when you talk about integrated radio stations, whatever, back in the day, Sly and the Family Stone is one of my all-time favorite bands. Wow. The specials, you know the specials? Yes, yes. The, I love integrated bands. Like, yep. there's just something about it. It's beautiful. Oh, The music goodness. is usually good. Yes. And, and there's something that feels so good to see that that's possible. Yeah. So when, when Walk This Way came out as a white kid in this room, I was like, this is amazing. Even this white yep. people and black people. I traveled to South Sudan. I traveled to Europe. I traveled to Asia. Since 86 to this day, I could go somewhere and people say this. D, when Steven Tyler took that mic stand and knocked down the wall that was separating y'all, that didn't just happen in a video. It happened in the world. It was a big deal. A big deal. And it was really. Two generations coming together. Black people, white. Name it all. That, and that was the beauty of it, too. We could have did that record the way they did it without them. It wouldn't have been as big. No. People would be saying, yo, remember when DMC covered Edward Smith? But it would have been over. Rick was smart to have show the world what exists already. Right, right. It wasn't new. Clarence Clemens has been playing with Bruce. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ginger Baker went to Africa to rock with black and white. Were all go look at some of the um, the classic rock bands in the center. No, Sly, the drummer and Sly yeah, was exactly, white guy. Fucking so it existed, yeah. but the media, the dominant images wasn't being 
expressed. And Run DMC and Aerosmith changed that. But we changed it with Rockbox. Walk This Way isn't the first, it's a tongue twister. Walk This Way isn't the first rock rap record. The first rock rap record is the Rockbox, which was the first rap video on MTV. And it was me and Run. What was beautiful about that, Travis Barker rolled up on me and said, yo, most people jumped on the bandwagon with Walk This Way, but I was there when I saw Rockbox. That was you guys it's in us. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame video? That's the second one. That's King of Rock. Right, right, with right. Larry Bud Melman yeah, 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 going, yeah. you guys yeah. can't come in here. Yeah, yeah. This is a, You know what was powerful about that? 2009, we get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I'm there. They call me over. The, you know, the whole rich creme. The whole, you guys were pathetic. What are you talking about? In 1985, y'all did a video called The King of Rock with Larry Bud Melman from the David Letterman show at the front door of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame museum, denying your entry. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't start till 86. Now, what is people's I wonder. I wonder if Jan Wenner saw that video and he's like, we got to pull this thing off. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? That's real funny, right? Those guys were like, yo, y'all prophetic. And I remember in 86... When we would fly out of JFK, Prince would always be coming in. So for like 30 times, we would see Prince coming, because we going, or we going and he coming. Hey, guys, what's up? And all of his magnificent, just like, he's a game changer, right? So on the 31st time, me running, Jay walking, walk to Sway's killing, Adidas killing. Prince walks by. Hey guys, usually, oh, what up, Prince? Like, it, it was so normal. Right, right, right. Like, I knew Prince. Right. Because we've seen him. But just 31 times, what's up, y'all? And as he, we imagine in the movie, he walks three walk past, and Prince walking, and without looking at us, he just says, You guys gonna be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he keeps walking. So we stop. What the fuck he just said? What the fuck? So me running Jay, we stop. What the fuck? What is he doing? Rock and Roll? What the fuck is it? So we keep walking. He knew that the Rock and Roll Fame, we didn't know. When did, when, when did he say that? He said it. I guess they made an announcement, but we didn't know. We right, wasn't, right. And, we didn't and he's just chilling, right? He's, he's just, just like, chilling. He's like, hey, yeah, they're creating this thing. He spoke it. He, and he knew, though. Basically, we, basically. Out of he, everybody yeah, getting yeah. it. He said, they're creating this thing called the Rock and Roll Fame. He said, oh, maybe I'll be in it. But he, he said, you guys, Prince wow. said that. Well, that's what I'll I... I'll never forget that day. Well, when you guys make the scene because of everything about you that is so authentic, it creates a world for hip-hop music. I'm you know, sure. like sure. that's why hip-hop music became what it is because everybody got to be themselves finally. And for me, I was like, I always loved rock music. I wanted to be a rock. Hip hop allowed me. I'm pretending to be the king of rock. This is make believe. Now I, I speak to kids. I walk the earth and I walk in a room. Jay Z is here. What's up, King? Everybody, yo, what's up? King's here. And I'll say to myself, I was just playing. And then I say, was you? Right. Right. Pretend means pre prep before it manifests. Well, you I mean, I, but you I'm just playing. You, you, you made it the happen. The son of Bifert. You want to know how the son of Bifert rhyme came about? Tell me. I'm sitting here one day, and I'm like, Thor is the son of Odin from Asgard. He got a brother named Loki, and he got a hammer. That's Thor in the, in, in the Marvel Universe. I'm here in New York City. I'm Daryl. I got a father named Bifert. I got a brother named... Son of Bifert, brother of... A it's my comic book. King of Rock, I say, crash through walls. Come through floors, 
bust through ceilings and knock down. I'm the king. It was all adventure, make believe stuff that I brought in. My whole motivation was I'll be the most powerful entity in the hip hop universe. I'm playing. That shit came true. I want to hear like fucked up tour stories with the Beastie Boys because I know that that was a, a weird period. Like, uh, I can't not. Debauchery. Ask you. Yeah. What, what, what kind of, what was the debauchery like? It was just, all right, I don't, I'm not going to say no names, but it was just motherfuckers licking ass in front of you. <laughs> right. Sweat, piss, titties. <laughs> and and um, don't send us to Amsterdam, because back in Amsterdam, the, the fucking the bulldog was it. Weed in the open? It was just, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it was like it was sex, drugs, and run. They, I didn't like weed, so I didn't really. I smoke with run every though, now and then. Right? They loved, yeah, shit, they loved it. And it was something that, that was kind of weird. When we go to Europe, I noticed the alcohol wasn't as strong in in London, in Germany as it was in America. Like I would drink Bacardi and shit over there. I was like, this shit is not like. So when we went, we went to London one time, and when we went back for London, when we toured a PE, DJ Scratch, and Derek B, I brought 40s by the case. <laughs> we want to take these shits to how much they got to pay for them? Like, that's really You wanted to make sure that you had, that you had your shit. 40s, right. And I heard also in your, in your car, you had some kind of crazy 40 cooler built I had built a cooler, in. so I didn't have to stop. I didn't have to. I was so alcoholic. I didn't want to stop and get out at the, the bodegas to get them. Let me just get the case and keep it all nice. And then one thing that was that's unfortunate for me as a fan to read is like that you and Ron didn't always get along, and like and you kind of didn't get along a lot in the glory days. Was there any good times? No, it was all good. And things started going wrong after the Tough and Leather album. It wasn't that we get we got along. We just started growing apart because what had happened, and I describe it like this, it was very traumatic for me. And my therapist said, you should have said something. When Jay, he's fly. He's up on all the new stuff. Instead of us being run DMC, not giving a fuck, we're following the platform that we created. created. And that's when our career. So the thing that, changed the dynamic in the group is when Jay had us doing New Jack Swing music. Right. We did Pause, which was a good record. Yeah, it wasn't a bad record. No, no, no. But it was, I hated it. Because it wasn't what I, you I wanted to I do. Don't, I don't hate New Jack Swing. I don't want to do it. But I did it because J.M. Run wanted to do it. It was the worst. That's when it exploded. Then, then if you look at the Pause video, my rhyme is dope and this and that. Hated everything about the fucking rhyme. If you look at the video, Jay got me in a green, yellow, and purple suit doing the running man. Right. That's not fucking basement cold crush shit. No. But I did it. I didn't speak about it. And it was the, it was after um, the, um, the Back From Hell album years. With all the new Jack Swing, Jay started changing his look. If you look at the cover of um, um, What's It All About... I hated every minute of it, and I didn't speak about it. But instead of speaking up, you drank about try, it. Yeah. And that's when I was drinking 24 hours a day because I hated every minute of everything about what Run DMC was doing. I was so jealous when the Beasties did Intergalactic. Right, right. 
I was so jealous when Bismarck he dropped you. Right. You got I was so jealous when Kooji Rap put out fucking you use because you got the ill street blue. You I was so jealous when Big Daddy came dropped. Ain't no half stepping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the big dad. I was so jealous when Chuck D dropped. Yes, the rhythm. And we trying to make pop bullshit to beef. But I didn't speak about it. And right. That was the beginning of Do you think do you think that was because like they got too big for the like Jay and Run were too big for their britches and kind of like were such big pop stars. They were like, we need to be polished now. Yes. And around me, I talk about this in the book. People around me said, D, you need a hit record. You need to be on the road. You need I don't want to lose this. I got no, I don't give a fuck about it. I don't want to let Run and Jay down. So right. okay, whatever I gotta do. Right, right. It's the worst thing you could do. My therapist said, D, you should have quit. Right. And they would have said, D, you're gonna walk away from all this money. Yep. What are you going to do? It's $5 million on the table. You know what? I'm going to go home and read my comic books. But I'm fortunate I went through what I had to go through. Absolutely. So now I can be an example of what not to do. I survived. Um, I'm sick and tired of the pain and the hurt. I do this for Chester, Chris, and Kurt. Chester from Lincoln Park, Chris Cornell, Kirk. I was there. Right. The DMC kills itself. I'm sick and tired of the pain and the hurt. I do what I'm doing now for Chester, Chris, and Kurt. Death is appealing. It's the only thing that will release me from this bullshit. So with death, I flirt. I tell the world how I feel, and they think I'm a jerk. Stigma. Oh, you're weird. This and that. Just get away from me. What's going on? Oh, when I was gone, when I said I was depressed, don't be. People will tell you, don't be depressed. I can't tell you not to be hot if it's 100 degrees outside. I can't tell you and I said, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying, I feel like killing myself. Sit them down and say, what is the person, place, or thing? But they don't say that you shouldn't. You know, Run even told me when he was a reverend, D, you're fucking bifurting and banner, son. You have everything. He doesn't understand what was real. So death is appealing. So with death, I flirt. I tell the world how I feel, and they think I'm a jerk. I'm not bugging. I'm struggling. All this guzzling is puzzling. So you know what I did? I stopped hanging with Jack and Jim, Jack Daniels and Jim Beam, so I could fight this battle to show you you can win. The greatest thing I've done, not Grammys, not the first to go go, not the first to go platinum, and this and that. The greatest thing I've ever done as the mighty king of rock, DMC, who walked this earth in his Adidas to tell people how tricky life is, is to stay fucking sober. Right. And that blows people's minds when i got out of rehab and therapy i get out i went to sierra tucson in arizona for 30 days so i get out now and run has run's house where's d D, why you ain't on it and i go well um i was gonna kill myself i want to hear more about how bad like the bottom like what between between the fucking coolers in the car right, the and fucking the car, and rehab. Like, what was that period? The about? coolers in the car came about because I'm drinking a case a day. Because Back From Hell flops. When Back From Hell dropped, they put together a tour for us. Atlanta, New Orleans, L.A., empty venues. Mm. But Jay's good. Jay's good. We get to advance up front. But you're supposed to get the rest. Jay's good. Why? Because he started JMJ Records. So he ain't giving a fuck about the Run DMC thing. Concerned. 
but he, he got other shit to worry about. He had onyx. Run is married. He got five kids. And he's beginning his Reverend Run thing. Me, I put all my shit into this Run DMC thing. I wasn't mad that the records flopped. I was mad I had all of these ideas and they wouldn't allow my idea to allow us to flop. So I'm looking at Run and Jay. So it's cool for Faces and Back From Hell and all the shit that we're doing as Run DMC. And it's fly, none of this shit is working, but it's cool that I feel bad about it, but y'all don't give a fuck. But y'all don't want to take 10 of my ideas and flop because it's going to make you. That's when people got us fucked up. And I had all that. Before Biggie did um, More Money, More Problems, I had this song and I said, we got to drop this shit. Fucking motherfuckers is getting money and they think of running up. I had a song called If You Chill With A Mill, chill with a mill and you still got beef because your money is no problem yeah because you're more more and fucking- i had all of these egotistical tim run dmc can never be soft taking your oh no we don't want to do that d we're gonna do this oh and i would go okay right right and and there's nothing worse than failing on so it wasn't else's- we were we wasn't the dynamic there was nothing personally going on so i don't want people to think that me and run was still friends we should have did three albums like cream and quit let me go be Clapton. Let you go be Lennon. I'll go be Bo. There's no more we could do. But when we still kept doing shit, we tried to. I'm telling you, the thing that traumatized me, and this is what was doing New Jack Swing. That I fucked you up. It. It's the opposite of where you guys were from. Yes. It's the opposite of where you we guys were from. We're supposed to be making more beat gems, and here we goes, and stuff like that. And like, how close to suicidal would you say you actually were? How close was I to suicide? On a scale of one to ten, seven. Then ten when I found out that I was adopted. And how did you? Because I got nothing. I'm not even boyfriend. Everything left me. What What happened was we had the flop years. I'm running. I'm driving around drinking a case a day. Jay's doing JMJ. Runs doing family. Developing the reverend shit. I'm lost. We're going through hell with profile records. So the only thing that you don't know why it's not working. No, I don't know why I don't. So the only thing that made me happy, I was going over Bismarck House every day. I was going over Big Daddy Kane House. You got Kane says, D, when you did this, I called my mother up and she didn't understand what was going on. She was just so happy DMC was in the house. I would go over to Big Daddy Kane's house when he moved to Queens, and I would take all the food out his refrigerator. It's 11 in the morning. I'm drunk 24 hours a day. I come over Kane's house, take all of Kane's food out of his refrigerator and put 40s in his refrigerator. Right. And all day I'm in and out of his house, coming back, and I'm drinking. I'm screaming at his brother. So for me, it got to a point where there was nothing else for me to do. I didn't stop. Hold up. Let me stop. I'm fucking DMC. I could go start my car. You can do anything. Yeah. The thing that, you know, it's like, I didn't know what to do except drink. I didn't know nothing else better. I'm drinking cases during the day and I'm still going out to parties. So at nighttime, it's Hennessy. And I'm talking about, I would drink till five in the morning, sleep an hour. And one of the things my therapist said, D, you have so much willpower. Because even through all of that, I would still get up and go to the gym. And he said, just for you doing that shows you had a snip. Everything you've done shows your, your, your incredible ability to get shit done. 
I mean, that's your life. Right. You know, that's who you are. But I felt lost because from high school to then 90, all I had was Run DMC. So that's Well, why. it was so much. And then you had Run DMC and you had alcoholism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. So when the Run DMC go away, the only right, thing I'm saying, right. all I know was, okay, this makes me feel good. Real quick, just because I, I can't not let it ask the question. What was hanging out with Bismarcky like then? A fucking amazing. Tell us about it, please. He would let, when he was passing away. Because he was a genius. When he was on his deathbed a few days before he died, his wife was reaching and we got to send a message, keep his spirits up. My message to him was, and he knew, and she said, yo, he laughed. He couldn't move. He laughed. I said, tell Biz, thank you for letting me in. <laughs> I would go to Biz's house and judge he drunk three in the morning, banging on his door, and he would let me in. And if he wasn't there, he would tell his DJ, let DMC in. He didn't forsake me. So I would go to Biz's house, and he was a genius. He was. His room was filled with records. He was, he was breakdance, beatbox, hip-hop, jazz, funk, rock and roll, Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker, Godzilla, NASCAR, and he was everything. Pop culture, Cuisinart. Yeah. It, it so came out as hip-hop. I felt at home. I, around my drunkest times, before the pancreatitis set in, Bismarck, Public Enemy, and um, Big Daddy Kane. Were you drinking with, with Flav them. or no? No, I wasn't drinking with Flav. I wasn't drinking with Flav. You, well, I would have my 40s around him. How was that? What was hanging them. out with uh, with Chuck and Flav and them? Chuck never got high day in his no, life. No, And Chuck, to this day, he says, I remember the day that you came to the studio and you said, this was probably like um, when they f first dropped their first album. Yo, it, one the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, D, I'll never forget the day that you came to the studio and you said, when you get your mansion, you're going to have old English coming out all the forces. <laughs> yeah. That's some drug shit. Right, right. <laughs> so check out. Hanging around them was, it was strictly business and music. And that was good because I would just sit there drunk with my 40 saying, if we was fucking making this right now and we're doing the fucking Jack Swing. Right. So it was like, it was hurtful. I would go to Kane's house to see what he was working. They were doing everything that I wanted to do and could crush them. I have as much, I don't need as much lyrical proudness as Kane. Just give me that beat and watch what Nas said, Nas Bumpy Knuckles, Kuji Rap said, D, you said, the unbelieving receiving prophecy so true, I'll cut the head off the devil and I'll throw it at you. Right. <laughs> they was like, yo, fuck my part. That right, shit right that's there. It, right. That's what we should have been doing. Well, and then the other thing we haven't talked about is what happened to your fucking vocal cords. Yes. So. Because that's like a, a huge, that's a huge piece of the story. Yep. Back from hell. Case of 40, I'm just high 24. I'm drunk 24 hours a day. In 90, 91, I wake up with a pain. I get diagnosed with acute pancreatitis. Go to the hospital. I get admitted. I'm in the hospital for a month and a half, everything intravenously. I get discharged from the hospital. The doctor looks at me and says, son, you have two choices in life. 
You could drink and die or not drink and live. So it was easy for me because anybody out there listening, I know you'll know the Little Rascals. There was this one episode of Little Rascals where the kid got kicked out of class and the teacher told him, learn the poem. And he goes by the lake and he's sitting by the tree and he didn't want to do it. And the whole, what's, what's crazy about this Little Rascal episode, there was this funny sounding kid that would go, learn that poem, learn that poem. So when I got out of the hospital with acute pancreatitis, we still touring. Drink, you die. Drink so was easy. So fast forward from 91 to 93, I'm good. I'm not drinking. Shit is different now. The dynamic. We would do a show. Jay would go out. We show up to do the shows. It was one of those where the group, we ain't even communicating because we had our own lives. But I, I can't drink, so I don't even know what the hell I was doing. Oh, I got married. So, but you couldn't chill with these guys because they were having, they were, they were drinking, they yeah, were partying, so, yeah, whatever. I can't do that and stuff like that. So, what, what did it do? I, oh, that's where I really got into music. I really started learning. Oh, there's other stuff the Beatles have that's not the singles. I really got into because all I had was music. But in 1993, Pete Rock sales smooth. Sure, they blowing right now. So we do this album called um, Down with the King. Sure. We eight records in, Pete Rock comes in for the ninth record, produces the title song, and we do the video. Puts us back on the road, back on the chart. It was a great song and video. It was the best thing. Down with the key. Yeah. And Pete Rock comes to me and said, D, I don't want no Eminem shit. I don't want no Jay-Z shit. I don't want no EPM. I want that DMC shit. And he just asked me, what, what do you do? I'm taking the tours. I'm wrecking the land. I'm going to give you the typical DMC shit. And if you hear my verse, they said that's verse of the year. Only G-O-D could be a king to me. And if the G-O-D be in me, then a king I'll be. This microphone is branded when it's handed to me. I was planning all my angst from these whole It was finally coming back. New. It all came back. We should have just made 10 of those type of albums. We'd have been. Right. But long story short, Down With The King comes out. Puts his back on MTV, back on the road. We opening for Naughty by Nature. We opening for Limp Biscuit. We opening for Dr. Dre and Snoop on the Crime. We back. The old Jesus back, and everybody wants to celebrate us. Right when the video comes out, the next day I wake up and want to kill myself. I had no idea why. It was just a, a sad. Why the fuck I feel like this? I'm back on the road. This in the, in, in the 90s. When Down with the King came out, we get in the 90s payday. In the 80s, we was getting the 80s payday. But that 90s now we're getting crazy, the same right. payday that everybody's getting. So long story short, I just wake up and I sit and I go, okay, let me see what the fuck is going on. I'm Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Bifed and Banner's my mother and father. Alfred's my brother. Run and Jay and my friends. This thing called Hip Hop comes over the bridge. Me and Run make the single hit. Make another single hit. Make the five. Went through my whole thing all the way up to this point. I'm back right now. We're getting 200 grand, 300,000 a show now. What the fuck is wrong? I don't know. Depression sets in because of this void. What do you think it was? Like I think what it was was Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Run, Jay, walk this There's something else to your identity. And boy, did it let it know. So when that happened, to answer your question, because of what's going on internally, my voice just leaves. It's a psychosomatic it reaction to your feeling. Just leaves. So now, wow. and I, I'll never forget the day we played Nassau Community College in Long Island. Right. I remember it was a blizzard that day. 
it snowed, but yo, we still gonna do the show because we gotta go get the money. And I remember that day we was doing um together forever. Party people, your dreams have now been fulfilled. Get out your seat and let's get ill. That's right, y'all. We're not just rough, we're more than tough. And when it comes to rhymes, and when I got to my rhyme, I ill, I chill, but skill I kill, and none of my rhymes are run of the mill. I cause grief and be my voice went out. It wasn't that noticeable when Joe just said, yo, D, you were starting to lose your voice. I said, yeah, thanks for helping me. Because when he went on stage, Joe would lose his, we compensate right, each other. Right, right, right. Right after that day, every show after that, the voice just more. Then it just got down to where I couldn't speak at all. So then we had to go to um, Switzerland and do the Montrose Jazz Festival. And there's a movie of that, right? It's a film of that. And I go, I can't go. Motherfucker, you going. We going to get this money. J-O-O-W and this and like that. So my voice goes. So then it gets to the point where I'm realizing something really going on, right? Um, How scary is, is that period? So um, I'm losing my voice. I'm depressed. I don't have my voice. I'm thinking without the voice, there's no reason to be alive. So that's when the suicidal thoughts first come in. So then, so imagine I'm doing Montrose, this and that, every night getting up on stage and can't do it. But you're there doing it, and people are looking at you like something wrong. And all I'm saying is because I got a kid now, got to get the money. God, imagine how bad I felt. Terrible. And I can't drink. <laughs> I can't drink. And you're, not, and you're not in a recovery program. You're not like in 12 No, separate... I just cold turkey. Right. It was good. I'm, I maintain it. Then it just got to the point I couldn't take it to where we're going through this 93, 93 to 95. I don't want to live no more. And then it got to the point where if I can't, and this is what I started thinking, if I can't rhyme, what's my purpose? I didn't know I had a bigger purpose than me. So now I'm thinking about Kimmel. So if we go to Yugoslavia, and I just send a book, and I go up, and I swear they didn't lock the door. And then I go up on the thing, and I'm ready to jump. I'm ready to kill myself. They're going to wake up tomorrow and CNN, DMC kills itself. But then my voice goes, Daryl, you can't jump yet. Why? They don't know who you are yet. What do you mean? They know this DMC shit, but before you die, you got to tell them who Daryl is. All right, so that's when I came up with the idea to write the book. So before I die, I got to let the world know, yo, what's up, world? I'm Daryl McDaniels from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. You know me, first to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover, Rolling Stone, first with the sneaker deals, first with the bit. Everything that hip-hop is doing, it's because of me running Jay. But I'm really just Daryl McDaniels, no different from any kid on the face of the earth who was born May 31st, 1964, and... Oh, now I really, oh, I know my birthday, but I don't know no details about it. So just to make it more interesting for the reader, let me call my mom's up. I ain't going to call and say, Mom, I'm about to kill myself. Because she would have lost. Hey, Mom, I'm writing this book. I just need to know three things about the day I was born. How much did I weigh? It was um, 11 pounds, 10 ounces. You was a big baby. What time I was born? 11.30 a.m. in the morning. What hospital? You was Kings County Hospital in, in Brooklyn. All right, Mom, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you. Boom, hang up the phone. Hour goes by, phone rings. It's my mother and my father. We have something else to tell you. Oh boy. Okay, now I'm thinking when Details. you was born, right. it's going to. There was a power outage, and we gave birth to you by Kenna. Like, no, they said we have something else to tell you. Okay, what is it? You was a month old when we brought you home, and you're adopted. We love you. Bye. Click. They dropped it like that. They're crazy. Why would they tell you like that? Because they kept it a secret all this time. He's about to do this book. It's a 
I think we, my father was very reasonable. I think we need to call him back and tell him before, you know, so he can really know who he is. Wow. Because they didn't tell me earlier. They hadn't gone through any sensitivity training. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So we love you. Bye. Hang up. So I'm educated. I know what that, that means. I don't have a voice. I'm doing New Jack Swing. I'm fucked with this void in me. I'm depressed. That was confirmation. Get the fuck out of here, D. That's the perfect storm. It's a miracle you didn't pick up heroin. That's a miracle. So what do I do? I start drinking again. When when they hit me with that, I remember I got off the phone. I called my wife, sorry. I called and I said, they just told me that it was adoption. She goes, I didn't want to say nothing, but I knew that because you ain't look like nobody in that phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew, self-medicate. Right. So I started Even though you hadn't drunk for how long? For um, since 91. Right. So this is 96. So five years abstinent. Yeah. And then you hear this news and you're fucking like, I need a fucking drink. Well, not four years. Four years. It was 90, Still. 95, right? So then I'm drinking and then I try to rash. My wife says, Daryl, what the fuck? Are you trying to kill yourself? Now I found my way. I don't have to shoot myself. I don't have to drink the poison. You don't have to jump, jump off the roof. Let me just drink to this pan- to The pancreas. Right. So my wife goes, Daryl, you ain't supposed to. I'm not just telling you because you can't drink. You got fucking pancreas. Tell you could die. And I go, I'm hiccup. I'm, I'm celebrating the new found part of my identity. And I'll never forget my wife. Just going to be in my, um, my um, I'm doing a film about this. She says, motherfucker, you're drinking because you can't emotionally handle the fact that your parents just told you you were adopted. So I'm drinking from 96. I find out that I'm adopted and I'm drinking. Then what happens after that? My father dies. Mm. Right then, right? Like the next week. No, Jay dies Oh my first. God, right, 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 right. I find out that I'm adopted. Jay dies and my father Jay's said, murdered. Who would kill murdered? Who would kill Jay with such a day? My father dies. So now, and I'm drinking. And you're drinking. You're drinking through when Jay died. I'm drinking through all of that. So Jay is murdered, and, and you didn't even believe it when you heard it. I didn't believe it was murder. Somebody got shot in Jay's studio. I believe that, but not Jay. Right. So imagine how. I knew it was true because me and my wife got a babysitter. We rushed to Jay's studio, and when I pull up, Ed Lover and Chuck the Public Enemy bawling like little kids. That's when I knew it was real. First thing you know, I'm saying that. Ed Lover, Chuck D crying like little kids. That's when I knew it was Jay. So right now, and you, and, you were, and you were drinking. Drinking my ass off. Like drinking, 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 drinking. Would you say that was the heaviest drinking you were ever doing in that period? Yeah, hell yeah. I was drinking 24 hours a day. I was drinking, I was walking around in the morning with fifths of Remy Martin and Hennessy, right. Vuvu Clay Champagne. I would go to the gym. <laughs> and then I would start drinking at 10 a.m. all the way to like 5 a.m. the next day during that whole period. Eric and Tracy Miller, Eric, my manager, my friend, best friend, Tracy Miller, keep them busy, keep them working. So what had happened was Eric gets tickets to go to the center book, the Clive Davis party thing. Well, pri- no, prior to that, I'm drinking and drinking, drinking. I'm coming home from um, Europe and I hear Sarah McLaughlin's song. And that song gives me some hope. 
But then I go to Lenny Kravitz's doctor. I go to Mariah Carey's doctor, one of the doctors here in New York. And they look at me and they say this to me. Because now, you know, we're still doing the shows. I'm trying to overcompensate. And I'm still doing the shows. And, you know, I'm straining my vote. And the doctor said to me, you're a little red because you're overcompensating. But he looked at me. I'll never forget. There's nothing physically wrong with you. Wow. I'll never forget when he talked. So then Jay dies and all of that stuff. The thing that led me to going to get sober was Eric and Tracy keep him busy. So Eric takes me to L.A. to get cast for a movie. You ain't got to really say nothing. You ain't got to rap. Just be in a movie. So I'm sitting there meeting with the agent. And I'm not even in the room. I'm like, I'm depressed. My throat isn't going. Fucking drinking. Jay's dead. My life is over. This motherfucker got me in L.A. I don't want to do no fucking movie. So Eric finishes with the agent. The agent turns to me and says, DMC, we see Run everywhere. And Russell and Kimura, what's up with you? And then something in me just said, motherfucker, you want to know what's up with me? Well, I just found out that I was adopted at age 55. This and, that, and I just let him have it. And he just looked at me. And this was beautiful. He was like, I can't possibly understand how you're feeling. But... There's somebody I think you should meet that might help. And he introduced me to Sheila Jaffe, another adoptee. So, and that's the beautiful thing. He didn't know what to say, but at least he did something. He was like, maybe she He connected you to somebody who had some experience. Yep, exactly. And and that led to me get sober. I meet Sheila. I tell her how I found out I got adopted. She tells me how she found out she was adopted when she was 14 years old. She was 14 years old in the Bronx and... There was a rite of passage for the neighborhood bully girl to beat you up. So before Sheila's turn came, the neighborhood bully girl really wanted to hurt her. She said, Sheila, before I whip your ass, I just wanted want you to know your parents don't know love. Your parents don't love you and you're adopted. And Sheila was like, what? So Sheila didn't stay for the ass, so she ran home. And her mother was like, yeah, yeah. So long story short, Sheila goes, oh, Daryl, once a month, Mark Wahlberg gives us his offices in Santa Monica and we go have adoption anonymous meetings. I'm like, what's that? She said, adoptees from all walks of life all over there. And we go in a room, we just talk once a month. Set change. I'm standing there with the adopted person from Australia, the adopted person from the Korean and the Vietnam Wars that will never find it. Right. But it was beautiful. It's crying, laughing. And at the end of the day, see you next month. You just go in there and talk. So that was my first taste of a therapy, but I didn't think about it. By the seventh meeting, they go, Daryl, don't you want to know who your birth parents are? Nope. Don't put me. I'm trying to heal right now. This is good for me. I don't need no more mental, emotional stress. You heard the record. Son of Bifred, Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. That's my. So what happened was this. We didn't this. even talk about Christmas in Hollis. Yes. God damn. Anyway, keep going. What happened was this. A famous adoptee that wasn't celebrity famous. And this is what caused me to go to rehab. She said the reason why an adoptee should. You don't have to. It's your story. It's your life. You could let it be whatever. But I'm OCD and I'm Tony Starks and all of that and very investigative. She said, the reason why an adoptee should search for their birth parents is, and this blew me away. I was like, shit. You never start a book from chapter two. I was living my life from chapter two. And I went back to the Down with the King moment. I'm Daryl McDaniels, Hollis, Queens, New York. First to go, go first hit. Now Pete Rock got me back. Pete Rock, let me just shout him out. He hates when I say, but it's true. You have a lot in common with the people that you're around. People say, walk this way saved Aerosmith's career. We did their record over. 
Pete Rock produced Down With The King. Him and CL Smooth recreated the first record we ever made, Down With The King, and did it with us. Same thing. So I thought back to that day. You never start a book from chapter two. I realized Down McDaniels, Hollis, Queens, New York, there was a whole chapter one. That you didn't know. Because of, so that's what made me. And I said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to know. But then I'm just, you know what? I want to know. So I knew in order for me to go down this road, and this is the beginning of me saving my life, I need to be of sound mind and body. So let me go to rehab. Eric been telling me, Eric Tracy, Leor Cohen, and Kathy Simeonitis, Leor's assistant. She went to Leor and said, motherfucker, Daryl's finally going to rehab. Pay for him to go to rehab. We're going to save his ass. So I went to rehab to get clean and sober because they cared about me. But the, the catalyst was, if I'm going to go see this shit, I need to be a sound mind. So I go into rehab March 1st to March 30th. So in February 1st, I said, I'm not going to drink all the way up to March 1st and then go. You did the I opposite of what drinking, everybody does. I stopped drinking February 1st Right for that whole month. I just did it. Because I'm thinking, I got to find my birth mother, which was a good distraction for me. So when I get to Sierra Tucson, I go in the intake room. There's a guy with a straight jacket on out over there. And there's another guy with a straight jacket over there. So it's like one, two, three beds. And I'm in the middle bed. So the, the, guy, the guy comes in and looks at both of them. He said, I guess I'll start with you. And he goes, when was the last time you had a drink? And I was like, a month ago. And he, what the? he said, you did. I, I tell him. I knew I was coming here. But that's that, that classic uh, DMC preparation. Yeah. So then he says, you don't need to be in here. He sent me to the next room to where they had all the um, characteristics of an addictive personality on the board. Right. I'm that. I'm that. I'm that. I'm that. I'm that. I'm that. I do that too. And then to, to the lady that was in the room and the therapist guy, they start clapping. I'm like, what are you clapping for? You're on your way to being here because now you're being honest. Right. But I wasn't being on. So they send me, they give me all these, you, you, you got nine assignments to finish by the time you get released. First of all, I'm funny. I finished mine in a week. Because it was like homework to me. Just, I learned about dopamine. I learned about the guy that experimented with LSD. And um, they say um, we get high because it's our conscious search for God. Right. So a whole lot of stuff in there. Did you ever do LSD? Yes, I did, um, they called it blotter. Yeah, 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 acid blotter. Yeah. yeah when did you do that? The, the night that we, we went to see um, Madonna at Roseland. Shut the fuck up. Who tripped that night? Me and Cool T. I wasn't with Jay Aura. Me and Cool T, we was hanging out with some girls from the Bronx. And we didn't go to sleep the next day till like 1.30. <laughs> Yo, I, I, did, I did the acid trip before. All right. But it wasn't like I saw colors. Or, it was just like I was just up. I smoked a lot of dust in my career. Hated doing dust, but always did it. Give me the worst dust story really quickly. The worst angel dust story. Well, it really wasn't no worse angel dust story. <laughs> it just made me, the dust made me feel heavy and nauseous, but I couldn't throw up. Okay. You ever trip ecstasy? Never did the ecstasy. All so. right. Well, we can. A mescaline. You did masculine. But uh, the, the, uh, I think we diluted it because we put the masculine tabs in the old English. Wow. Drink it. Okay. Okay. But back, the old okay. English was so powerful. Okay. Back to rehab. 
I'm sorry. I went so, out yeah, so, back, so, so back to rehab. So now I go in there and they give me my assignments and all, and I finish them in a week. So the next day I have my first sit down with the therapist. And I'm sitting there, and the first thing he asked me was, he comes and he got the white cloak on and the clipboard and the glasses. Right. I'm 35. He's like 48 maybe. White guy. And he says, Daryl, during your career with Run DMC, did anybody ever do anything to make you angry? And I'm sitting there going, no. He looks at me through the glasses, puts the clipboard down in a pen, takes his glasses off, starts unbutton. He stands up and starts unbuttoning his white smock thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is he going? Is he going to beat my ass or something? And he takes it off. He got some um, ACDC shirt on. Right, right, right. And then he sits down and he looks at me and he says this to me. You're a goddamn motherfucking liar. And when he says that, yeah, man, in 1983, <laughs> when Ron did this and that, right, and, right, and then Russell did yeah. that. And I went through from right. 83 all the way up to there. And I was diagnosed with suppressed emotion. Right. And he said, you was drinking. He said, you have to tell your truth. If right. you hurt somebody's feelings, they'll get over it. And then he said, also, you got to be ready to get it back at you. Right. But he said, from now on, for you to stay sober, tell how you feel the moment you feel it. Right. Eric hates me now. I don't think so. I think he loves well, it. Well, he likes <laughs> it. But if, if everybody's sort of changed. Nope, I'm not going. Why? Because I don't want to. The therapist said selfishness is necessary for not to wear, oh, I'm going to go do this and you can't do it with me. I ain't splitting the money. Not that, oh, you can't have none. He mean, look and see how it's going to affect you. And if it Take care of yourself. First. And then he said this. This goes for wife and kids, too. Because if it's like that thing on the plane. They won't have me. If you can't be breathing, you can't be saving them. Yep. You need I got to be completely all right. You're going to get mad at me. Right. But as long as I'm all right, I will get you to where you need to go. Right. So, but if I do it and it's detrimental to my well-being. It's going to be bad for them anyway. It's going to be bad for them anyway. Like some people don't know how to say, kids, I love you so much, but I need to go away for eight months. A lot of people won't go away. Even to this day when I tell people. This story, they do this. They look around to make sure nobody's listening. And they only telling DMC because I'm the mighty king of rock DMC. But I go, yo, I was in rehab. I was going to kill myself. And I went to rehab and I'm in therapy now. Make sure no bugs around. D, and they say these words to me. I've never told anybody this. Me too. Right. And if that don't, this is the one that kills me though. I've never told anybody this. But my wife, my sister, my... So people won't talk about their daughter who's at home fucking struggling on mess because this man is going into work at his office every day worried about how the people will think about him. Right. So you found that you could finally... When you could come clean, all of a sudden you could help all these people. Yes, I saw. You know what? If DMC could... I wore Adidas because of you... But what bugs them out is, we thought you was invincible. And I go, I am. Me saying I'm vulnerable. Is the strongest thing of all. And needed help. Is the strong. And then I got to tell people, all the superheroes are fucked up. They all Batman have Batman got problems. The, all of them. I, the, I, and I remember, there was an issue. Stan Lee was brilliant. There was an issue with Tony Stark on the cover with the demons around him looking at a glass of liquor. And Tony Stark's an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. everything that I was in my superheroes is me. Right. No, 100%. But when I tell people that, and so many people say, yo, D, man, I've been struggling for years after I read your book. Your book did for me what 10 years of therapy couldn't do. Because when you read the book, it blows your way that this is D. But everybody go, D, everything you talked about, they see themselves. It's incredible. It's, an incre incredible. it's also just an incredible gift that, like, you've given the world. I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound a little schmaltzy here. But you've given the world so much. Like, I mean, like, I read you talking about uh, Sarah McLaughlin and what that song did for you. I that never song. knew. People told me that my music did that for them. But that's D, what I'm I had saying. the suckiest parents. And I would, I would go in my room and listen to my Raising Hill tape. That never happened to me until Sarah Record did it for me. I'm telling you, you did it for the world. Like, you did, And I, I feel like when I read the book, you didn't really know that. Like, I, I, and I don't need to be the person that tells you. But this fuck it, you look out the window and your music touched everything out there and, and it changed the world. And you, you gave us so much. Like, you gave us so much. Well, one of the things that I know is this New Jack Swing, notwithstanding, it doesn't even matter. Right, right. It doesn't <laughs> matter. One of the things that I know that gives me confidence with the same vigor and happiness that I told the world when stuff was good, I realize I'm even more powerful when I tell them it's bad. I love that. You it know, connects Steve, us. Christmas time, huh? This and that. But when I say, yo, it was fucked up and it was hard, it still gets the same result. That's you have cool. a lot of fucking music that really is incredible. Your story is incredible. You were too generous to give us this much time. I cannot thank you enough. But we got to play the game before you go. Let's yes, go play the game I'm really definitely going to play the game. Right, okay. It's not a great game. We got to get that piece of paper from the kitchen. All right, no problem. Hold on. We'll, we'll talk and walk. This is the okay. first time we've ever talked and walked on Dopey. This is crazy. All right. And definitely Eric, the manager, the is definitely dying yep. to go. Ray, All right, Eric, we're Ray. almost done. That's hey, Ray. That's Ray Brown. We got to play the game and then we we're done. We're going to play the game and then we're done. The game is just strictly this or that. All right? Oh, wow. Okay. You can get with this or you can get with that. You see, he's you suing. You can get with this. He's suing Dredd. For $500 million. Yeah, yeah. You friendly with Dredd? So love it. Yes. You think he's going to win it? Something's going to happen. He's going to get something out of it. Oh, for sure. They're going to be like, come to the room and we'll give you $20 million under the table. All right, you ready? I'm yep. going to say two things. You're going to pick the one you like more. Okay. It's going to be controversial. Okay. Okay, we're going to start with something easy. Siddhartha Gautama or Jesus Christ? That's Buddha. <laughs> yes. Siddhartha Gautama, <laughs> yeah. who went and left the palace yes. to see saw a sick man, crippled yes. man, this and yeah. that. Yeah. Siddhartha or, or Jesus. Jesus? I got to pick one? Yeah, that's the game. Sid Arthur. Hennessy or Old English? Old English, of course. KRS-One or Rakim? KRS-One. Todd McFarlane or Frank Miller? Todd is my man. Harry Chapin or Jim Croce? Harry Chapin. Nas or Jay-Z? Nas. <laughs> Biggie or Tupac? Tupac. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Tupac. Now we're getting some. Because their damn mama and Brenda had a baby. That's why. Okay. Ad-Rock or Mike D? Damn. That's a fucked up question, right? Damn. Kick it. Ad-Rock. Me too. LL Cool J or Curtis Blow? Damn, why are you doing this it's, to me? It's a good time. It's a good time. It's a good game. LL, for uh, sure. The Submariner or Dr. Doom? Dr. Doom. I hated Submariner's trunks. Being naked with his I, body I, I, I can relate to that. He's bad, yeah, powerful, yeah. though. Yeah, with the wings but on that his feet. Kill, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that suit, man, come on. I loved him when he put on the blue full suit. 
Okay. Do you remember when he had yes, a blue? Yeah, yeah the blue. But it's regal. Doctor Doom, my for sure. And you on the MF Doom track is sick, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you, thank Very you. Great. I was on it when he called me for that. That was good, really good. Thank you. Okay, Rick Rubin or Russell Simmons? Rick Rubin. Wow. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Buster Rhymes or Method Man? Meth. I figured you'd meth, say that because they also man. did, uh, they redid um, Tuck MC. They did Tuck MC, but Meth because we, he loves comic books like me. All right. And Buster probably do, but me and Meth, we talked about them. Galactus or The Beyonder? The Beyonder. Because it's more infinite. Yes. 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 Infinite of power. Course. Yep. For All right. sure. Here's the fucked up one. What do we find at the end of Infinity, though? There was nothing. What was there? It was, it was like nothing. a rift. Yeah. There was like, it was white and there was like yeah. the, the glowy yeah. thing. So uh, just find another beginning. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. Right. The end of the end is the beginning. Sarah McLaughlin or Run DMC? Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, fuck. Yeah, man, because, yo, I'm in the arms of an angel. Fly away in the dark, cold hotel room. Here's the That was me when she said those words. It was like, what? Listen, that's the game. You'll never perform with Run again. Never. The, the final show ever. Yes. I know. Is, is it the bar coming? Oh, tab, you're for the 50th? You're doing it? No, 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 no. Right now, we're shooting a four-part Run DMC documentary nice. with Peacock. The full story. Nice. At the end of that, Run and D is going to, we're going to do, you know what the last waltz is? Yes, I know what the last, do I know what the we're last We're doing waltz a last waltz at Madison Square Garden in April or May. Eric will let you know. I need to go. Uh, you can be my guest. I can be your guest? You be this is guest. the greatest day ever. And it's the last show, at, and here's why. I won't be able to be Paul McCartney and Wings I won't be able to be Foo Fighters. Nobody's mad at David Grohl for not doing Nirvana no more. Nobody's mad. I I have so much. It's more. different though. It's different. it is right, but I don't want to be running around. I put it like this: me personally, I've done all I can do for Run DMC. Let's not fuck it up. Listen, I'm excited. There's going to be another show. If Jay comes back, though, I understand. I'll tour and I'll make albums. Listen, if Jay comes back, I don't think I can thank you right. enough for your time. Ridiculously generous. Was this the now, greatest? I got one for you before yeah, yeah. you go. Okay, yeah, I yeah. did it the other day and everybody. Waffles or pancakes? Oh, boy. I'm going to go waffles. Okay, I went waffles too. Because there's pancakes never as good as it's supposed to be. At all. Right, right, it's exactly. even, even as good as it can waffles be. Waffles. Yeah, like, yeah. Waffles yeah, are yeah. the crunch with the syrup too. and the butter. Yeah, And all the students went crazy. Where yeah. were you at? I was speaking at a, um, a, a conference for high school kids up at Woodstock. Nice. They bring all the kids up there and they do this conference of... Education, creativity, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was the keynote speaker. That's amazing. Yeah, it was cool. Daryl, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I love being dopey. All right, there you go. Everything you ever wanted to know about DMC, but maybe you were afraid to ask. This year is actually the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, so you're going to be seeing Daryl and Run and lots of your favorite hip-hop people all over the place. But I cannot say enough times what an honor it was to have DMC at my dad's, to have him tell his recovery story on Dopey. It meant so much to me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you guys want to be in the show, send in a voicemail. Send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If I read or play your story, you get free Dopey Socks. DMC got free dopey socks. Wouldn't you guys want free dopey socks? I'm going to read a story I just got. It's from this person. I think it's a woman, and I think her name is Brienne. 
And she says, hi, Dave, me again. This is a dopey story that takes place in the summer of 2000 in Koreatown in Los Angeles. My boyfriend and I had a shitty studio apartment on Normandy and Wilshire. I was 20 and entering my senior year of college. We moved to L.A. to be closer to our drug of choice, black tar heroin. Shout out to Olympic and Beacon in Bonnie Bray area. I was working at the souvenir store at Hard Rock by Universal Studios. My boyfriend could not keep a job in my recollection. One night late after work, I got home. I arrived at our apartment and my boyfriend had a friend over. We had used with this friend before, so we were all ready to start the night with a fresh score of shit that was hitting so fucking hard. We would shoot it up, but not all the time. We warned the friend it was strong, but he loaded up his syringe to slam anyway. Next thing you know, he's ODing on our inflatable couch. Luckily, dope addicts tend to be thin because we picked him up and took him in the shower and put cold water on him. He was coming too. So we called 911 on a cell phone and did not give our apartment number. Then my boyfriend told me to get sugar and we shoveled sugar in his mouth. I didn't know what the fuck to do. He wasn't coming too, but then I guess the cold water and sugar worked. He stopped looking blue and started yelling at us. What the fuck? We told him he just OD'd. He chilled for maybe another five minutes, continually asking what happened. Then he starts loading up another rig. We were telling him, no, dude, you just died on us. We had called 911 so we can hear them five stories down trying to get into the building and trying to figure out who called. We were definitely hiding from the police, the ambulance, whatever was out there. We made... We made him smoke his heroin the rest of the night, and we kept going back for that bomb hookup for the next few days. It's interesting that she ended the story there. I need, I need a conclusion. I'm dying for resolution of that story. So, so Brianne, tell us how you are now. What happened to your boyfriend, and what happened to this guy? I need a resolution. And, you know... If you OD and you get uh, showered on, it happened to me once. I think I, I overdosed like twice. First time I overdosed, a woman dragged me into the shower and uh, and I came to. And that's the, the best way to be able to come to. If you need Narcan, though, I have Narcan. I actually have Narcan and I have fentanyl testing strips. So hit me up and I will be happy to send them out, courtesy of Austin, Thank you, Austin. Um, I think that's the show this week. There was another story about some kid in Virginia who uh, he OD'd in the bathroom in his school, and the school didn't realize it was an OD. And I think now he's in critical care, so let's hope this kid is okay from Arlington, Virginia. I hope you guys are doing okay. Get Narcan. Get Fent test kits that we have both of those. Uh, write in an email, write in a voicemail, try to have some fun if you can, right? I mean, the whole point of recovery is to try to enjoy your life. So give it a shot. My dad is currently sailing from the end of the earth in Argentina to Antarctica. Hopefully we'll get a report from him next week. Uh, everyone else stay strong, dopey nation and fucking toodles for Chris. I'm gonna play this song, but only because uh, I think it's gonna make me look a little bit more inspired. I'm just gonna.